Get my bread back. Uh -oh, there you go. Scavenge is up. You can see it coming this right here. This is all one big plan. Yes. And a good plan. Well, Conspiracy. Conspiracy. Fans are on Hogan because they want to see Rodman tie it up here. And they're a little bit on Rodman, too. There they go. Hey, he left up, guys. How about that? Oh, Now, Hogan, I've met with WCW officials with my Simple Mind attorneys, and next Monday night on Nitro Live in front of millions of viewers, you and I are going to wrestle for the world's oh. heavyweight oh title. Oh, oh my! You've got to be kidding me. One week from tonight in Detroit at the Palace, you and Hogan for the title. Life, as NWO like to say, is getting pretty sweet for the total package Lex Luger. It has been about a year since we have seen Sting in the ring. And with the emergence of the NWO and their rise to power, supported by one Eric Bischoff, many, including myself, have questioned just where Sting's uh, loyalties apply. Right. And for a while we got some mixed signals, but as you gentlemen have pointed out, Sting's recent actions have shown me that he is solidly with WCW. And so to get to the point, the executive committee is working on putting together an offer to get Sting back in the ring by September. How about that? By September. That's right. And, and I've heard from some usually reliable sources, Tony, that Sting may be in Auburn Hills next Monday as well. Wow. So I'm not about to miss a potential opportunity to confront him. And if Sting is there, I will confront him with an offer. And, again, our goal is to do whatever it takes to get Sting to return to action back in the ring by September. LaParca unconscious. Savage heads to the top rope. LaParca is unconscious. And Zabitko has dropped his headset. Oh, LaParca got the feet up. Larry, please settle down here. We need to focus what's on in the right. Did you see that? Incredible hitter than a diamond cutter. Did you see that? That's our LaParca. That's our LaParca. DDP. Oh, my. That is incredible. He pinned him. Diamond Dallas and Lock Scott Hall. Scott Hall was more concerned with Larry Zabisco and DDP and WCW one up the NWO. Hey guys, I'm gonna leave now. Please look at this. When he wakes up, let him know that was a diamond cutter. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine to July of 1997 for Volume 2 of this month's show. Four volumes for you this month. Volume number one takes the WWF linear in your house Canadian stampede. Volume three takes all the latest action from Philadelphia. And volume number four is our latest trip to UFC. We're here in volume number two to take a look at WCW, including Bash at the Beach. I'm being joined first of all, Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, good evening. Good evening. And Eric Landstrom. Eric, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Bob and Wayne. Uh, Eric, kicks off with the news. Sure. Dennis Rodman's WCW debut went about as well as it could be expected, working a solid hand in the main event of Bash at the Beach this month. The team of Rodman and Hogan actually lost to Lex Luger and the Giant after Luger racked Hogan, but not before Rodman more than held his own in a lengthy main event. The bigger benefit for WCW was, his, was the publicity his appearance generated, which was substantial, and the buy rate is said to be the, uh, comparable to their largest ever in Hogan's run. 
Rodman is said to have a second match on his deal with WCW, but it's unclear when that match might be. DDP's partner at the pay-per-view turned out to be Kurt Hennig, as expected, although WCW had led much of the audience to believe Sting would be on the show. As expected, Hennig quickly turned on Page before the end of the match, although he's still shopping himself around as a free agent, and it's not clear whether he'll end up with the NWO or the Four Horsemen. Roddy Piper defeated Ric Flair cleanly in their first match, and Chris Benoit ended Kevin Sullivan's in-ring career in a retirement match. There were also wins for Jeff Jarrett, Mortis and Rath, Chris Jericho, the Steiners, the trio team of Juventud Guerrera, Hector Garza, and Liz Mark Jr. Raven was joined this month on WCW television by Stevie Richards, as WCW seems to be rewinding the clock back to the early days of the pair's ECW run. Neither Raven nor Richards left ECW on good terms, with WCW ignoring ECW's claim that Raven couldn't appear on their pay-per-view and Richards' exit being questionable, too. It's said the deal to bring in Richards came together in a matter of days, thanks to Richard not having a formal contract with ECW. Surprise, surprise. Richards is on what is said to be a trial one-year contract, in part due to a series of injuries that will keep him out of the ring for a while. WCW let a series of names go this month, although don't be surprised if some do return on more temporary contracts in the future. Names include Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Ice Train, Craig Pittman, Joe Gomez, The Renegade, Robert Parker, Jerry Lynn, Dave Taylor, Pat Tanaka, and the amazing French Canadians. Sister Sherry has also departed WCW after being ditched by Harlem Heat. She's been working on the indie scene since. And Lanny Pofo, Randy Savage's brother, was released. You may wonder why we never saw him. Well, apparently he's been simply paid as a favour to Savage. To combat Raw moving to a 9pm to 11pm time slot next month, Nitro, for at least one week, will be three hours. That will be main evented by Lex Luger versus Hulk Hogan for the title, six days before their match at Road Wild. It's said that Nitro moving to three hours isn't completely off the table now either. Jesus. WCW were also very pleased with their rating on the Tuesday Nitro this month, so the second live show may not be dead either. And finally, it's said that WCW are meeting with George Steinbrenner, the owner of the New York Yankees, about doing a possible Nitro Live from Yankee Stadium. As the WWF has a lock over Madison Square Garden, using the baseball stadium would be their only real opportunity to run a show within New York City. And a reminder that we're on Patreon for five bucks a month if you'd like early access to shows where possible or you'd just like to say thank you for our, our contributions to your podcasting month. You can uh, For five bucks a month, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs. Links in the podcast description and on our website, onto the ratings for the month. On June the 30th, Nitro did a 3.3 to Raw's 2.5. On July the 7th, Night After the Canadian Stampede, Raw did a 2.5 to Nitro's 3.4. On July the 14th, Night After the Bash of the Beach, Nitro a 3.5 to 2.6. On the week beginning July 21st, Raw did a 4.1 on a pose as Nitro was moved to Tuesday night. WCW, however, very happy with the 3.7 rating they drew the next night. And on July 28th, Nitro a 3.4 to Raw's 2.9. We start the month off with footage of last week's Sting stunt and the arrival of Raven and Kurt Henning. Cut to live and Mean Gene brings out the former Mr. Perfect in street clothes. He gets booed and promises involvement at Sunday's Bash at the Beach. Flair comes out to say he must be joining the horseman, but Henning says he's a free agent. 
In the ring, the public enemy beat the Harlem Heat after a Sherry miscue. Post-match, Gene tries to get to the bottom of it, but Sherry quits to the crowd's approval. We get a great Benoit and Sullivan package before Conan arrives to beat Joe Gomez with a half-crab. Hoovy and Hector Garza then defeat Viano 4-5 and five in a tag match. Thankfully, Mike Tanay steers the commentary. Hoovy winning the 4.50 splash. Hall and Savage take over the desk and tell us they're going to be teaming for one night only. Luger and Giant have a sit-down interview mixed with highlights of the last 12 months. A hard sell on Sunday's main event all night here. The main event of our number one sees Flash Norton and Buff Bagwell beat Eddie and Chavo. Savage arrives with Hall to take on La Parker. Macho goes for the elbow but it's countered by La Parker who it's a cutter. Off comes the mask and it's Dallas Page who pins Savage. That's really good. Backstage, Eddie and Chavo go at it as Glacier teams with Ernest Miller to face Psychosis and Silver King. It ends in a no contest after Mortis and Wrath run in. Lee Marshall's up next with his 1-800-collect-weasel. Same shit next week. Flair's out to talk to Gene. He announces Piper but unveils a kilted mannequin. He calls Hot Rod a second-rate movie maker but Piper arrives and they square off in the ring before Flair gets the belt. Yes, despite the horseman arriving, Nate still manages to end the segment in his boxer shorts. Raven is again seated at ringside as Tanae tries to get him talking. Stevie Richards, of all people, grabs the mic and he takes over. Raven slaps down Stevie and leaves the building. Benoit and McMichael arrive to face the Steiners. They get a long time, but the Jarrett, Jarrett distracts Mongo, Sullivan chairs Benoit, and the Steiners pick up the win. Bischoff and Hogan arrive to close the show, but Giant and Luger arrive. Vincent gets chokeslammed, Bischoff gets racked, and Hogan flees before Sunday. Kurt Hennig, it may have been a coincidence when you were in Las Vegas last week, because I know you like action, yeah. but I don't think it's a coincidence that you're here in Memphis, Tennessee. What do you think I came to Memphis, Tennessee for? To find out what the Clampets are doing? What kind of question is that, Gene? I want to know whether or not you're here on behalf of somebody, if you're here to be part of World Championship Wrestling. Well, Gene, it's obvious to everybody, and everybody knows that I'm the greatest athlete, the greatest wrestler that the state of Minnesota and the whole world has ever seen. And I am here in World Championship Wrestling, and I have my reasons for being here. Okay, well, I think I'm going to delve into that just a little bit further. We've got the Bash at the Beach coming up live on pay-per-view next Sunday from Daytona Beach, Florida. There's a lot of, lot of talk right now about you're perhaps collaborating with somebody for that event. Well, I'm not going to let you in on anything, Gene. I will tell you this much. I will be at Bash at the Beach, and I won't be sitting in the crowd. I will be participating in some way, shape, or form. Wait a minute. That could only mean one thing, and I've known you since you were a small child, Kurt Hennig. That could only mean one thing in my estimation, that you're going to team up with Diamond Dallas Page to beat the Macho Man and your old friend Scott Hall. Uh, Don't start jumping to conclusions. Hey, I'll tell you right now. As of right now, Kurt Hennig is a free agent, and I don't want anybody in the back room to take the word free lightly. Well, I don't think free agents are making a lot of money these days, but apparently, what is this? The nature boy, Ric Flair. What? And this lovely young lady. Hi, sweetheart. What is that? Woo! Me, Gene! One of the greatest wrestlers of all time is here to join the horsemen. Hello, Kurt Henning. Come on, baby. Turn it off. Get out of town. Is that true? Is no, wait that a minute. I told everyone, don't jump to conclusions. 
I didn't say I was joining the Four Horsemen. I said I'll be at the Bash at the Beach on the 13th. That doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, it's a nice... Come on, you're one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. You gotta be a horseman. Look what I got you to that, brother. We're gonna party. Woo! We're gonna rock and roll. Woo! Woo! You wanna come Goes that river dance again. Uh, are you telling me this? What is the story? Are you part of the horsemen? You'll find out in the 13th. All right, Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco. Um, there's a lot we could perhaps discuss from the first Nitro of the month. It, it, it comes as quite a busy show and quite recommended in, in a lot of respects for the stuff with uh, with Henning and obviously the, the, the big lead into the pay-per-view. Um, but there's only really one thing that I want to discuss coming out of that show, and it involves La Parker, which might sound quite strange, but it will become clear in a minute. Um, so we, we, we cut to the ring, we've got Randy Savage with, with, with Nash and Hall at ringside, and, and La Parker's out there for a match, and, and, and nothing seems like anything, and they wrestle for about four or five minutes, there's a lot of shenanigans going, shenanigans going on. Um, you know, Scott Hall just starts sticking about up the R way and starts, you know, gesturing to the the announcers at the desk that Savage is going to pick up another win, etc. The top with his off the top with his top rope elbow drop. The Parker gets his knees up, scrambles to his feet, turns around, and hits Savage with an ace crusher, or as we would call it, a diamond cutter. Uh, and then the Parker gets on his knees. Whips his mask off, and it turns out it's Diamond Dallas Page, and the crowd ape shit as Page picks up a, a clean, uncontested win over Savage, uh, and then Page scrambles through the crowd as the uh, as, as Hall and Alison uh, Liz just trying to work out what's going on, um, and I, I think there's this is a great segment anyway, but I think Tony Schiavone, who in, in some respects. I think deserves a lot of credit recently for a lot of um, what's been good about Nitro. So something along the lines of uh, when Randy Savage wakes up, let him know that was a diamond cutter. Um, I thought that was really good. Uh, Wayne, Wayne, talk about this angle. Oh, I thought it was fantastic. Um, just yeah, just the, the big reveal at the end was uh, you know was was absolutely awesome. Um, I think he, he's been in a couple of these now uh, DDP and, and and doing doing really well with them as well. I think we had the one with uh, Hall and Nash where he put on the t-shirt and uh, uh, and you know, obviously did the diamond cutter on on Scott Hall and, and got a massive reaction to that. And soon as he just took that mask off, um, you know, the, just the crowd went wild. And you know, I think he's uh, you know in a in a sweet spot at the moment DDP. Because he's, he's getting getting hot reactions like this, and you know the fact that they're strapping some kind of rocket on him, you know the fact that he's he's actually running and, and, and doing a home with a home run with it as well is uh, is just absolutely perfect. You know, for me, Lepaka in a singles match, you know, probably wouldn't generate too much interest, um, and and I wouldn't know his wrestling style either. So you know, I was watching it, you know, not not having a clue. Um, I've got to give credit to to the booking team as well because the fact that. Leparka, as uh, you know, the, as Leparka was walking down, or DDP was walking down, they showed the replay of, of Leparka over the or, the course of the last three weeks, where he's been hitting people with chairs. So it was kind of like showing showing replays, and I think that was obviously to not have Leparka walking down uh, the aisle, you know, so people at home could you know probably work out that it was somebody else. Um, I just thought all of that was uh, was superb as well. All right. Yeah, this segment was so good. Everybody's got to watch it, and uh, and you watch it. And it's almost frustrating because you think if WCW can pull off something this good and have this much attention to detail, 
uh, in a segment. Why can't they do that uh, throughout the entire uh, program? Uh, I mean, you have Macho, DDP, and, and Hall, three guys who are pretty well-known, uh, even uh, Hall and, and Macho especially, for uh, for good ideas and, and control over their character. But, yeah, Wayne mentioned it. You know, you had the uh, the video package kind of hyping LaParca to start the, the match to get people off thinking, well, this couldn't, couldn't be anybody but LaParca. Why the hell would they hype him? And then DDP did the LaParca ma- mannerisms so well. Earlier in the show, Macho and Hall made fun of DDP and said, you know, they're going to take him lightly. And this was just so well executed, Hall giving Hall a reason to leave ringside, going up the aisle so DDP could uh, could execute the master plan. Um, yeah, this was really good, really well at, uh, uh, attended to in terms of detail and execution, and just probably one of the better angles in, in the history of Nitro, frankly. Yeah, um with anything either of you said um, this is you know and there's, there's there's some interesting stuff to be said about you know Nitro in the last four, five, six weeks has been booked you know sort of by committee but it, formally informally by Terry Taylor um, and not a lot has changed it should be said I don't know that your average year would notice a, a seismic difference in presentation but there's been a few little tweaks that you look hard enough they started to use kind of small video packages not a huge amount but a little bit um, which I think has been an improvement um, and their eye for detail I think has picked up a little bit but this was just a I don't even know this is an immense eye for detail, more it was just a quite a clever idea executed perfectly. Um, and it could have really gone wrong because, I mean, the crowd did start chatting DDP at the start of the match, I think just ostensibly because Randy Savage was in the ring, not because they, they spotted it was DDP. And you watch it back and it's like, I don't remember LaParca being that big, um, but you don't see it at the time, which obviously is what matters. Um, and that was great. And, and it's like, pages. Page is on a on a on, on a fast lane to something here. I don't know exactly what, um, but it's the. Eric, am I wrong to want to compare him to Steve Austin? I mean, they're different characters, but they're not. They're not philosophically different, if that makes sense. I feel like they're they're both cut from the same kind of storyline idea. Yeah, I think that's an excellent comparison. You look at Austin; he's kind of this guy who was. Uh, maybe uh, underutilized or, or undervalued uh, in in a prior life, a uh, guy that a lot of people thought might be a steady hand, but but nothing better. And then he just they just he finds this character within himself and and turns himself loose and, and turns the amplifiers up to eleven, and the crowd really gets invested because it's a guy who doesn't look like Hogan, it's a guy who doesn't look like Brett. I mean these DDP more than Austin, I guess, but these guys kind of look like. You know, look like average guys. They talk like average guys. DDP's got that thick New Jersey accent. Austin's got that thick Texas drawl. And and people can really identify with that. And they're not really out there cutting wrestling promos. They're out there cutting, you know, average guy promos. And when they do, they do it spectacularly. And they get in the ring and they can hold their own. Uh, DDP has improved so much just in the last couple of years. I mean, we've talked about it on almost every WCW show I've done. DDP is is routinely the most improved player from month to month in WCW. And same can be said for Austin, less so in terms of ring work, more so in terms of character. But, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. If WCW can harness 50% of the energy that WWF has harnessed with Austin, they're really going to be onto something here. And the fact that you have, in both instances, Austin with Brett and DDP with Savage – 
well-respected, good in-ring technicians willing to put these guys over strongly over the course of a long program really helps build their credibility. And so absolutely, Bob, I think I think you hit the nail right on the head with that analogy. Why? Uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, I think that's just been covered off really well there. Um, you know, a few points I was going to hone in on, and, and that's just that, they're, you know, both really, really relatable. Um, so I think they've got that in common more than anything else. Um, you know, just to, just to talk more about DDP, I think we could all agree that since probably say the back end of um, the back end of 95 you know we we, we saw DDP was uh, we, we was going somewhere and 96 he was superb and he just seems to be only getting better and better so uh, probably we've got that comparison as well because that's what Austin's been like these last few years yeah I mean I don't wish to say getting someone over is easy I think that would be a a, a lazy thing to say and we've seen people fail enough times to know that's not true um but I think where, when I make the comparison, it's less about who those two guys are and almost about how both those guys are presented. Like DDP, can't, yeah, I know he's got his wife with him. That's a little bit different. DDP is the kind of guy that just rides alone, um, and so does Austin. Now, Austin's a bit more of a, you know, badass, you know, I, I'm against everybody, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Paige is a little bit different, but they're both booked to be guys that kind of ride alone, and they're both booked to be guys that are, you know, relatively bulletproof, and it just about works. Um, and yeah, if you know, if Austin's traveling up one side, you know, I mean, in, in some ways, Austin has it easier in the sense that he's got a lot more room to move into. Like if if Shawn Michaels doesn't return, Austin is the number one babyface. If um, you know, Paige is always going to be stuck behind Sting and to a point he might have to pile through Luger and Giant at one point if he's going to get up there into that that number one spot and obviously he's got to deal with guys like Hogan and Piper that Austin doesn't have those same restrictions um, but he's getting over at a similar rate, he's got a finisher that, you know, in some ways is not you know, they're, both, they're both net breakers of one form or another but they're both finishers that you can kind of hit you know from any kind of position, any kind of angle, any kind of scenario, you can hit them quickly. They don't require a lot of setup, um, which is quite nice as well. You know, if it, if if Diamond Dallas Page was dressed up as Scott Hall and he tried to put Randy Savage in the the, the outsider's edge, um, that that might have blown that ruse before it was too late. You know what I mean? Like as, as silly as that sounds, like it it helped that he was able to hit a, a recognizable finisher, and that's the big credit, right? The big credit of the entire angle is that people saw a diamond cutter without seeing Don Dallas Page and immediately associated one with another. That's the real big credit here. And it's, it's you know, it's not the only thing that's involved, but we talk about comparisons between the two. I mean, if Austin could stop doing that sit-out neckbreaker when he gets put in a chin lock, that would be a little bit better. Um, but both have got very distinguishable and very effective impact finishes as well. Um, be interesting to see how those two play out in the next 12 months, see how, what kind of, because I think Austin will get the opportunities because WWF don't really have a choice. Uh, where WCW is concerned, you do wonder what kind of opportunities will be left for Page once Savage has kind of run his course, uh, once that program's over, but we'll see. I, I just a, a fantastic angle. Every now and then, WCW really gets stuff right. Um, they're not, you know, it's quite often you can get quite big t- gaps between those kind of events, but this was really, really well executed. Uh, definitely worth out your, going out of your way to see. And there's only one show, we've already covered it, so let's move on straight to the pay per view. Eric can kick us off with the results. 
Mortis and Wrath defeated uh, Glacier and Ernest Miller. Uh, Chris Jericho retained the Cruiserweight Championship against the Ultimate Dragon. The Steiner Brothers defeated the Great Muda and Masahiro Chono. Uh, in a trios match, Juventud Guerrera, Hector Garza, and Lismark Jr. defeated La Parca, the real one, Psychosis, and Viano 4. Uh, Chris Benoit retired the Taskmaster. Uh, Jeff Jarrett retained the United States Championship against Steve McMichael. Uh, Scott Hall and Randy Savage defeated DDP and Kurt Hedig. Roddy Piper defeated Ric Flair. And in the main event, Lex Luger and the Giant defeated Hollywood Hogan and Dennis Rodman. Why? What do you think of this show? Um, I honestly don't know whether I enjoyed it or whether I disliked it. When I finished, I sat there and I was just trying to think back, uh, you know, whether I could nitpick at things or whether I could be really positive. And, And to be honest with you, um, I, I, I just couldn't decide, so I'm hoping this review actually gets me to uh, make a decision at the end when it comes to the rating. Um, I mean, there was one match in particular where I did actually have to rewind it and watch it again because I thought, you know, surely that was that was better than, than what I anticipated. So, come to the end of the pay-per-view, I wasn't going to sit through uh, another another close to three hours just to just to make a decision. So, uh, I'm sorry, but at the minute, I, I, I don't know. I often come into some of these reviews quite unclear, and then uh, yeah, generally the, the, we follow one of about two or three paths. Eric, what do you think? I'm with Wayne. Uh, I, I watched each of these matches, and, and they were all fine, I guess, or better than fine, or some may have been worse than fine. I'm still not really sure about some of them. And but then I got to the end of the show, and I thought, you know that that's probably that's probably a good show, but. But I don't know, because I was reading back through my notes before we got started, and there are just things that made me scratch my head and other things that made me think, wow, that was really cool. Uh, but I think it was a good show overall, and I'm I'm kind of like Wayne and, and maybe you, Bob. I'm, I'm hoping that our discussion about it kind of leads me down one path or another. Yeah, a hat trick of indifference. Um, I Yeah, I wrote my review for, for, for the site today, having watched the show last week, and I'm like, I don't really know. Like, you know, there's some good matches on here, but there's nothing stand out. There's some good moments on here, but nothing memorable. There's some, there's nothing terrible on this card. There's nothing massively badly done. A lot of things got progressed quite well. Um, yeah, let's see where we go. This could be a, this could be an interesting, uh, interesting little show of you. We're in Daytona Beach, Florida with Dusty, Bobby and Tony on the call. I think the crowd started off with a large weasel chant, but I, uh, I might be wrong. I might be giving uh, um, Lee Marshall way too much credit there. Uh, we open up opening match, Wrath and Mortis with James Vandenberg versus Glacier and Ernest Miller. We got it before the bell. Mortis gets a slap in on Glacier, who is the takedown onto, um, onto Mortis, which rips the crowd up. Glacier and Wrath square up. Miller comes off of the top with a side kick, sending Wrath to the outside. Miller hits a jumping scissor kick, then a side kick on Wrath, or Wrath hits a backbreaker. Wrath hits a lovely somersault sent on off of the apron onto Glacier. Wow. Wrath puts Glacier's head between the steel chair and the ring post, and then Mortis hits a big side kick. That looked really good. Wrath and Mortis hit a lovely double team powerbomb neck, bro- neck breaker combo. Wrath puts Glacier in a reverse Boston crab. Mortis comes off of the top with a leg drop. Miller finally gets involved with a series of kicks on both men. Glazer hits a DDT on Mortis. Vandenberg pulls Mortis' leg onto the apron, then wraps the chair around the foot. As the ref counts the three, Vandenberg puts the chain foot on the rope. The ref sees the foot, but not the chain. 
Glacier super kicks Vandenberg, Mortis kicks Glacier, chain and all in the chest, and that will do that. Wayne? Yeah, I, I actually enjoyed this match. Um, I was on the show a couple of months ago when it was uh, Glacier against uh, Mortis for the first time, and uh, you know I, I come out really, really pleasantly surprised with that match. I didn't think I'd enjoy that one, and and this was exactly the same. Um, you know, I went in there thinking, right, okay, normally I like my my opening matches of a pay per view to be quite fast paced and, and and get me really into uh, uh, into the pay per view, and um, you know, in all honesty. Although it wasn't as as fast as what I would like, you know, I, I did actually enjoy the pace of the uh, of these guys. Um, you know, Glacier, you know, we saw we actually saw a few wrestling moves rather than uh, kicks and punches, which was uh, which was nice to see. And and you know, Ernest Miller wasn't too bad. I thought when he was in there on his own, you know, he was quite kind of uh, stop start. But when he come in and um, you know cleared house with uh, with those kicks near the end, you know, I, th- I thought that was uh, that was really nice to see as well. And uh, and and you know we. we Got to see Adam Bomb with uh, with a running somersault off the uh, off the ring apron, so uh, not not all bad with with the move set here. Um, it is interesting to see where you know where we're going to go with Glacier now. You know, I think this is his first loss, so uh, you know where do we go from here? And you know, I'd, 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 you know, I'm, I'm only hopeful that it's uh, that it's away from Vandenberg uh, and, and that little stable because we've we've seen that for far too long now. Eric, I'm hopeful it's to the scrap heap in a repackaging, but that's just me. <laughs> Uh, so there's two minds for me that I'm of two minds of this match. Ernest Miller was, you know, it, it's easy, it's easy to say, but for me, when somebody's over with the crowd, it helps me get into them more. Um, and, and for whatever reason, this Daytona Beach crowd was super into Miller. And so despite his flaws and despite the fact they have kid gloves on him still, uh, when he was in, this match was, was pretty good. It was only for a couple seconds here and there. But, yeah, that was that was really good. I'm excited to see where he's going. Um, when we talk about WCW's attention to detail, and so these are supposed to be, at least three of the four of these guys, are supposed to be these video game characters, Supernatural, something or other. Dale did the review with the Mortal Kombat music, and we've talked about how their matches should be two-minute karate matches and not 12-minute wrestling matches. And then Mike Tanay talks about Raph's fucking football career, and it totally ruins the whole the whole gimmick. Um, so this guy was a college football player, and then he's a Mortal Kombat fighter. Um, and it's just it's just stuff like that where if you're going to sell it, Bob, you said this for months, if you're going to sell this as, as a video game, sell it as a video game. Don't sell it as a guy who plays college football and now has a wrestling gimmick as a video game character. Uh, but more than that, Wrath is just death in the ring. Um, and so I think if they're going to keep this going, you got to have less of an emphasis on Wrath in ring work. Um, turn him into a 911-style character maybe. Uh, but other other than Ernest Miller, I, I don't recommend this match. I was pleasantly surprised by this. Um, I thought it was an interesting choice for the opening match, but that, that kind of helped. And This wasn't a crowd that was on it all night, um, and it probably helped that this wasn't in a third or fourth match death spot. Um, and for all my qualms about the length of the match and the type of match and the style... Um, well, this wasn't a good quote-unquote Mortal Kombat-style match, I thought it was actually quite a good match. Um, Wrath and Mortis, for all their limitations, I thought worked quite well together. They both individually had a couple of very nice spots in the match, as well as their tag team moves. Miller, in what I think was his first wrestling match, looked pretty good. Glacier's okay. Um, yeah, this was one of those where like, there was, you know... The storyline's not particularly good, but it is at least a storyline. 
like it has been going on enough now and it is lots of stories it's not the kind of story that's difficult to to get over in front of a crowd even if they don't particularly care about it all that much where it just about well actually there's two really good spots in this match the somersault sent on's great and the bit where he just he just holds the chair up against the uh the ring post around Clay's head and then just super kicks it that that looked really good um yeah um but I say all that Eric like I, I don't know where this goes like you know I guess they either we can't keep doing this this combination of guys you know forever. So do they do they kind of try and expand the the Mortal Kombat division, or do they try and break these guys off? It almost reminds me of uh, uh, basically uh, between the time Hulk Hogan left the Fed and Mick Foley joined the Fed, the Undertaker would just have these prepackaged opponents who would come in, and their entire purpose was to be an Undertaker opponent. And then when the Undertaker program was over, they were either gone or repackaged or just stuck in the Million Dollar Corporation. Um, and and this is kind of how I see this whole this whole gimmick here. You either have to expand these characters and 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 make them more relatable to the rest of the roster in a you know in a kayfabe sense, I guess. I don't know how you do that. Or you kind of have to gently repackage these folks and and give them give them more uh, more relatable gimmicks. But I can't see Glacier against Chris Benoit in a credible match. You know, I don't see Wrath against Nash. Um, the, these characters are all in their insulated world here, and and I don't know where you go uh, with with this. Maybe maybe Wayne has uh, better ideas than I do. If if Glacier would have been on it for six months, it'd be a real clash of worlds. But him and Benoit actually could be built up to be something quite good. Um, you need to present him really really well. But if they presented Glacier as strongly as they did out of the gate. Oh, could be built to be so. What are your thoughts on this kind of Mortal Kombat division? Is it, has it got any legs? No, no, I mean, um, you know, I, I don't really know where they could go with Glacier or all these guys. I think uh, I think it's just been covered off really well that, you know, they, they are pretty similar to, to those guys that were being fed to, uh, um, you know, to Undertaker. After the use with Glacier now, where can we really go with uh, with the next step? Are they going to start feuding with with somebody else like uh, um, you know, like a you know a Chris Jericho or something like that? I I, I agree as well that you know we, it hasn't really got legs this uh, for for those three guys anyway. Speaking of Chris Jericho, we go next to the Ultimate Dragon versus Chris Jericho for the WCW Cruiserweight title. We get a monkey flip from each guy, the other counters a pair of arm drags and a double drop kick, and nobody gets on top in the early goings. Not sure the double babyface scene is working here. Crowd are very quiet. Well, they are until Jericho hits a double powerbomb. I think we want six as Jericho hits a stalling suplex. Off to the top with a moonsault and rolls through for a near fall. Jericho hits another powerbomb for a near fall. Dragon get on, get on the top. Jericho attempts a drop kick Dragon away. They miss by miles, but Dragon throws himself on the floor anyway. Follows through, uh, follows Jericho to the top. Jericho throws him to the floor and then comes off of the top and Dragon catches him with a drop kick. A lot of moving counts are moving this. Dragon hits an Asai moonsault off of the second rope to the floor. Jericho just escapes the count out. Dragon counts the Magistar Cradle, hits one of his own, but Jericho rolls into the ropes. Seriously, every move is being reversed here. Jericho hits a lion salt, then bridges a pin for a two. He goes for a second, but Dragon counters with a drop kick. Some moves salt. Jericho gets straight up, goes for a power bomb. Dragon rolls it through. Jericho rolls that through, and Jericho wins with a roll up. Wayne, this 
was the match that I actually had to go back and, and rewatch because I got to the end of it and I thought, surely this was better than uh, than, than what I thought. And uh, I rewatched it, and you know, I, I, I come out with uh, um, that it, that it was actually a good match in my opinion. Um, look, it's it's typical cruiserweight match, so we're not going to be expecting any more than, than what we see. Similar to the uh, um, to to the three um, not the three way the, the the trio tag match um, later on. You know, there's a certain style with uh, with wrestlers that you expect, and you know, both of those matches were exactly what were, uh, um, you know, what 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 I was actually thinking there was going to be like. You know, nice start. You know, like you like you just pointed out there, Bob. Loads of counter moves, um, high high flying moves, a, a tiny bit of selling. Um, but um, you know, come out with Jericho as the winner, which was, uh, uh, we, we, in my opinion, it was a good job that he did actually keep the belt because uh, I'd like him to to do something with, uh, with, you know, with this guy. But I think Tony Schiavone come off with the uh, with the best line of the night for me in in, in this match, and uh, and you know, we've got I know six could get involved in this match, but you know, he, he pointed out, you know, what will NWO do in this match? Nothing, maybe, or maybe something. <laughs> After, after I'd praised Shivani so much around here. Uh, Eric, too many counter moves? Yeah, I think, I, maybe, I don't know. Uh, this is, I've, I don't know if I'm qualified to review the style of match, and I'm going to be pretty visceral about the trios match later, I think, even though I'm probably going to come off as the fun police. Uh, but, um, yeah, this, this match, I think it, there was too much going on. Uh, this is a perfect example. This was a 13-minute match, but it was really a 20-minute match uh, condensed to 13 minutes. They just had so much going on. There was no, really no any any rest periods or any transitions between segments of the match. They just kind of went from one segment to the other to the other. And you could tell by the last two or three minutes of this match that these guys were just gassed. I mean, I think Dragon messed up a moonsault. He just couldn't get his legs under him. Uh, maybe that uh, that drop kick that Jericho had, if he if they'd been slowing down a little bit, he would have been able to connect it at least a little bit. Uh, yeah, and so I think these guys said, you know, they got 13 minutes, and they said, well, let's just make it the the, the best 13 minutes we can, and they just tried to cram too much in. Um, and, and so maybe that maybe that's what the the flaw of the match was overall. Still a pretty good match, but I think if they had done 13 minutes worth of of stuff in there, a lot of time, it would have been much better. Yeah, um, Dragon had a really good match last month, but he was in the ring with a heel, who played a heel, which I think helped a lot. Um, and, you know, these guys just tried to focus on the in-ring work, um, and it is always the way, they're like, okay, you know, let's let's put each other over, except for by, by not letting one guy get, o- get over, which is a weird kind of way of expressing it. Um, and yeah, like, it's it, it's hard not to be impressed by the athleticism involved, but it's it's hard to get drawn in when so many moves just don't stick, and you know the crowd weren't inv- the crowd just didn't really get invested beyond the odd move. And yeah, it's just one of those things. Like I can, it's like a piece of art. I can be impressed by it, but not drawn in by it. If that makes sense, um, and and that's kind of where I was with this. Like I can tell you objectively, it was probably a good match. Like technically, it was pretty sound, with the odd exception. Um, but Jericho's quite flat up and down um i mean dragon's fantastic i mean jericho's pretty good too um but it is kind of the proof that really these kind of matches do need some kind of build or at least some kind of you know you need you need a good pairing 
Um, and I don't know that a, a, a cold baby-faced Jericho and a, a, a good but still kind of fairly one-dimensional baby-faced Ultima Dragon is particularly the best combination. So there we are. Hey, there's the man I wanted to see. Oh, my. Look you at know, this man, if you could accompany me, this man, Raven, has been seen recently on a two or three WCW telecasts. He's here. He's not affiliated, as far as I know, officially with World Championship Wrestling. Hi, pal. But, Raven, you're here. There's speculation about Diamond Dallas Page's partner, and I'm certain you could probably shed a little light on it. Uh, don't mic to name me, pal. Something is just... Trust and hate and love and faith, and I don't understand... Social grace, the human race, confuse me. These words I speak bring forth a world of emotions. Emotions of dreams lost, dreams found, and dreams I'll never see. So it is written, so it shall come to pass. But the question is, will I or will I not be Diamond Dallas Page's partner? But isn't that the same question that I've been asked time and time again since my childhood? Isn't the question really, have I any dreams I'd like to sell? Quote the Raven, nevermore. Wait a minute, I ask you a straight question and you come up with this Edgar Allan Poe gibberish. Raven, I want something more... What, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> How you doing, Gene Gene? I'm doing very machine. good. Yeah, the dancing machine. Hey, what about this uh, What about this relationship between the two of you? Maybe you could shed a little light. Stevie Richards. You know what, Gino? You have this big, big question to ask my man Raven about being Diamond Dallas Page's mystery partner tonight. I do. Well, I got the scoop for you. Tell him about the announcement tomorrow night. Hey, wait a minute. Good God, he just cuffed him. I can't believe that. He just cuffed him. What kind of a shadow relationship is that? Treated him like a child. Gene Elkin comes out to have a chat with Raven and Stevie Richards. Raven is talking riddles, basically where he was in ECW two years ago. Raven asks if he'll be DDP's partner. But isn't the question, haven't I any dreams I'd like to sell? Whatever that means. Richards teases the scoop far better than Oakland ever does about tomorrow night. And then Raven punches him. That's Richards, not Oakland, obviously. Um... Eric, I don't know how I feel about the, the, the Raven Richards retrograde, but it kind of makes sense. But I, I, Eric, I don't know how much of that run you've seen. I Wayne didn't see that much of it either. But I wasn't a big fan of Raven Richards those first six months. It was only when Raven started to find his feet and when Richards started to find his voice that, but I don't know that going back two and a half years is all that beneficial for either of them. No, they were an- tell a story. Yeah, they were annoying in 1995 in ECW, and they're annoying in 1997 WCW. I mean, this. Yeah, I feel like we're we're in an echo chamber here, but yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, "Fuck, Raven's doing this again." He spent the last two years building into a really cool, um, kind of multi-dimensional character in ECW. And and now WCW is going to say, eh, we're going to take that third dimension away from you. So make you this two-dimensional uh, Generation X, Kurt Cobain, poetry kind of douchebag. And he's not likable. And, and he's not likable in the sense that he's an, a, 
a heel that, that we're going to want somebody to kick their ass. He's unlikable. And that I want to personally go and kick his ass because he's actually annoying and I don't want him on my screen. And so if they're is trying it to... acceptable? Is it acceptable if they're just retreading the ECW story? No, because it was a bad story. If it was a good story, why not? Because there's only, you know, everything in wrestling has been done with one slant or another at this point anyhow. But this was, if you're going to cherry pick from ECW, cherry pick something better than that. And and Stevie Richards, I mean, I'm sure the guy has, has quadrupled his income overnight by going to WCW, and there's no problem with that. But this guy was building into a real, you know, credible championship contender in ECW, doing kind of what you're supposed to do with your character when you're a little guy like Stevie, building yourself into this credible challenger over a long period of time. And now he's just back to being Raven's annoying little twat sidekick. I kind of, you know, good for him getting paid, but is this going to work out long, long-term long for Stevie as well? So, no, I, you know, I, retreading that storyline I, I don't think is going to help these guys. And, and I was really, really hopeful that Raven would be presented as this credible, believable kind of new wave heel in, in WCW. And now he's just being presented as this annoying guy from two years ago that, that some people have already seen. It's bizarre also in the one thing we've said about WCW quite a bit, particularly over the last four or five months, certainly if you look at the, the stuff I think back in April regarding what was happening with Flair and Piper and, and Nash and Six, is that quite a lot of the stuff with the quote-unquote boys seem to be, seems to be aimed at you know, an audience of a few people slash anyone that can understand the, the, the newsletters. And it's like, well, I, I'm a bit kind of intrigued to, to see that they didn't just think, ah, oh, screw it, enough people know who Raven is. Or just, you know, because it's not like, you know, not the public enemy came in at a similar level or with a similar kind of plan, but the public enemy came in and they just basically presented them. Um, with Raven, it's taken a step back to... Uh, regressed a little bit, but Richards is, you know, the, you know, I mean, they might get there with Richards, but Richards was so much better when he started to find his voice. I don't think he did that until probably early mid '96. I, mean, I hope he doesn't take us eighteen months to get there either. Wayne, what do you think of this angle? Is, is it in a, for, for someone that probably hasn't seen as much as Raven, certainly as I have, and probably not as much as uh, as Eric has either? Was this effective on a fresh set of eyes? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you, you're spot on. I didn't see that early run in ECW, but from what I have seen from these two in ECW, um, I, I've enjoyed, especially Stevie Richards. He's always cracked me up and, uh, he was something, he was someone that I really did enjoy being on the, on the screen. So for me, seeing these guys now entering WCW, um, you know, I, I was really excited about it. Don't get me wrong. Eric's pretty much just put me off now because uh, if they are going to rehash that uh, if they are going to rehash that storyline then uh, I can only hope that the that the booking of it is going to be better than uh, than that early run in ECW but um, fresh set of eyes I'm obviously going to see a lot more of them in, in WCW than I would do in ECW so you know I'm really looking forward to this Wayne I'm wrong a lot more than I am uh, I am right so, so you'll probably enjoy and everybody else will too <laughs> If you see Sandman arrive, just run, is my, uh, <laughs> is my only advice of all that. If Sandman rocks up to oppose Raven, just duck as quickly as you can. But, well, yeah, that was the I, show I was on when he did the uh, when he did the leg drop off the top rope onto Raven, and it was just more of a fall than, than an actual leg drop. Fucking <laughs> hell. If Sandman ever makes it consistently to, to nationwide television, God help us all. Um, but, yeah, like I, you know, 
I, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt in the sense that if they accelerate the Raven Richards story quickly enough, that you know, and Richards to a point over in part certainly his last six months with room work, and he can't wrestle at the moment. So there is at least that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. We need to do this for a year and a half or it gets anywhere. I'd be interested to see if we ever get the BWO in uh, in WCW, but uh, don't hold your breath on that one. Uh, we will next to Masahiro Chono and the Great Muta versus the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott. For about the fourth time, if the Steiners win a match, they'll finally get a title shot against the Outsiders. The NWO quickly start off sending the Steiners to the outside. The Steiners get on the same turnbuckle and then come down on top of them while both wearing bright red shiny singlets. Muta has NWO painted on his face. He and Scott go at it. Scott hits a double underhook powerbomb, then a big gorilla press slam before sending Chono off of the apron. NWO regroup on the floor. We return to the ring and Muta floors Rick with the mafia kick. Scott chases Muta off of the top, then Chono hits him with an electric chair. Scott follows Chono at the top, then hits a big belly to belly as we shape for a double hot tag. Rick tags in and then unloads on both guys with lovely stalling belly to belly suplexes. Love that. Rick hits Muta with a second rope bulldog. Muta hits a lovely Frankensteiner from the top onto Scott, who isn't the legal man. Muta hits a leg whip on Rick. Leg whip on Rick. Rick catches Muta doing a handspring back elbow, then hits a clutch German suplex. Scott hits a Frankensteiner. Rick dies for the pin, but Chono pulls the ref away from the pin. The ref deals with Chono. Scott hits a DDT onto Muta off of Rick's shoulders, and that will do that. Eric, I think when we talk about being puzzled about this show, this would be one of the matches I'd put forward because I don't, I can't work out anything wrong with you, and yet I can't remember much about it either. Yeah, uh, the echo chamber strikes again. Uh, the the thing that I took away from this match more than you know, because Muda and Chono are great, and I think they're both are they both IWGP uh, champions or, or, or former champions? I don't know. They're both very very credible. Uh, competitors, and the Steiners are, are, are great. Oh, declining a little bit, but still still very good. But the thing that I took out of this match is how the hell can Scott Steiner, 50 pounds full of muscle, more than he was in 1993, still pull off that Frankenstein? That was amazing. I popped like that uh, in my living room, uh, which which pretty rarely happens. Um, that was very impressive. And so, yeah, you're right. This was a good – I think this was a good match. I don't know. Uh, I guess an average match. Um, Chono and Muda are very good. Uh, Scott can still go. Uh, Rick's good, um, and and so yeah, this is this was good. I guess you know we're building towards the the Steiners versus Hall and Nash again. Hopefully the Steiners can can win the belt and keep them for a while um, before Scott you know inflates even further and can't walk to the ring. Um, but yeah, this is really Yeah, exactly. This is this is this is exactly this is the definition of a five out of ten match. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it too much either. Um, I think what I did take away from it is that Muta actually hits a better Frankensteiner than Scott, which I didn't think was possible. So, uh, so there was that one. That that looked quite deadly from the uh, from, from the top rope. In all honesty, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, we we, we get what we uh, we get what we um, come to see when it's uh, when it's the Steiners. Uh, nothing really changes with, uh, with you know with those guys um, and, uh, and and Chono and Muta, you know, as a, as a tag team. You know, not so sure whether whether they do actually bring anything to the table because obviously the focus is is, is going to be on more uh, um, on, on on you know more main eventers within the NWO. I think 
you know, they're obviously just there to, um, for equal opportunities or something like that. I'm not quite sure what, uh, you know, maybe I'll have to speak to, uh, uh, the HR. WCW Experience <laughs> Program, right? <laughs> no, the, the HR department within the NWO just to see whether that program's in, uh, <laughs> in fruition. But, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, look, the, the, you know, the match itself, I, I, you know, I couldn't really buy into it because there's surely got to be the point now where, where the Steiners do actually come on a pay-per-view and fight for the titles because I think you pointed it out there, Bob. Um, I don't know whether that was a figure out of thin air or whether that was the actual figure, but this is like the fourth number one contender match now that they've, uh, that they've had and won. Well, it's definitely the third because they, they've beaten, um, well, actually, I said technically Vincent cost them the match at the pay-per-view last time, but they had the match on Nitro, and then we got the, the dumb babyface thing, I'll sign your contract. Oh, ha-ha, look, a small bit of the contract says you can only fight us if you get through our, you know, Chono and Muta first, which is all the yeah. shit. Um, you know, dumb babyface thing is never great. We talk about talk about reasons why Austin and Diamond Dallas Page are getting over. Ain't much dumb babyface shit going on with those two guys, but there we are. Um, yeah, it's difficult. Like, it... The solution to this is not to have the outsiders as the tag team champions. It's the solution to all of this. Like the, you know, yeah. the reason that, that, that they never defend the tag belts is because they're off doing more important stuff. They're involved in objectively more important angles and matches, which is fine. Just don't give them the tag belts because you're holding up the entire division because guys are just spinning their wheels. These guys being the the prime example of it. This was a strange match. Like we we, we spoke last month about the, the the just awkward holding pattern the Steiners are in, in part contributed by the the, the lack of available title matches. Um, and this was another one. Like I think the crowd were, the crowd weren't really up on it all night, probably the exception with the main and semi main. Um, but yeah, with a, a pretty cold set of opponents. And one thing that was said that was, you know, there was photographers over for the show and it just kind of worked out because they were in the country that they could come to the show and that they were, you know, from from, from, from the Japanese stuff is, is what I'm getting at. Um, and, and that all worked out in the sense that they had these guys to photo as well as the Robin stuff later on. So that kind of worked. It's just one of those things, like it's... It's never a you know it's never a great sign when you book a match on a pay for you because you need to fill a chapter. Like you should always, in theory, book the other way around. But unfortunately, you, you, pay for you start to form themselves out of matches. Matches form themselves out of pay per views, and so that's when you get stuff like this. Like, well, we're going to do the signers at, at Road Wild in August. What shall we do in July? I know. Let's just manufacture another uh, another shot for them, another another hurdle for them to jump through. It's like, well, okay, just. It just didn't really work. But yeah, like mechanically fine. It's just not a memorable match. Um, we might be saying that about the show uh, in, in 45 minutes' time. I think Bobby Eden um, you know, couldn't have been more apt, really, with, uh, with what we've just been discussing there. Because uh, when Tony Schiavone says, uh, you know, this, this match now uh, means that uh, Holland, it's Holland Nash for the title, and Eden just says, uh, I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> it should have been Harlan Heat in this spot, anyway. And we move on to Juventud Guerrero, Hector Garza and Lismont Jr. versus La Parca, Psychosis and Viano 4 with Sonny Ono. Oh, with Lismark and Psychosis, action starts off quite slow with Lismark shimmies out of a head into a pair of exchange as the pair exchange shoves. Garza comes off of the top with an arm drag and Viano 4 goes after Garza. An arm drag sending Viano to the floor point and a backbreaker. Guerrero hits a spinning arm drag off of Parker's shoulders. 
The Parker and Psychosis have a disagreement. Ono calms the situation down with a promise of money to Parker. What going on? Hoon 2 hits a senton splash onto all three opponents. Heenan. Tony, I'll give you $100,000 if you can tell me who's legal. We get a triple team suicide dive. The Parker flips Hoon 2 onto someone's shoulders and fuck it, I've lost track of what's going on. <laughs> We get we get a start submission, then Parker puts Hoover Tune in a torture rack, then breaks up the submission. Everyone's doing splashes, they're all missing. Viana hits a belly to belly onto Hoover Tude. Then waits too long and Hoover Tude chases him up the top. Up comes Gaza, win up with two guys in electric chair positions until Lismark drop kicks them all to the outside. Holy fuck. Garza gives Hooven to the platform who goes flying miles over the top rope to the outside. That was like Benoit Barbarian type air. We'll, uh, we'll elaborate on that in the review. Garza hits a corkscrew plancher to everyone on the floor. Outruns Viano 5. Looks significantly different to number 4. But anyway, he's a fresh man, which would, 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 would be important in a match where anyone was actually selling. So Viano falls on the floor. They kind of bundle him under the ring. And Viano 5 dies into the ring. Garza hits a standing moonsault onto Viano 5 and wins the match. And Wayne, I'm not really sure what to think about any of that. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're quite right. It was uh, it was just too too much, far too much going on, far too much going on. Um, I think it's you know nothing we've never seen before. It's to be expected with uh, with this Lucha Libra style. Um, you know, flips, dives, no selling, no real storytelling. Um, I think there was, you know, there was a couple of spots that I did enjoy, but. Um, it, it, you know, it could have been a good match, but I, I, because there was so much going on, I just I, I come at the end and you know I, I, I could not tell you whether uh, whether I actually enjoyed this or not. Um, I think obviously it, it goes, it, you know, hitting the nail on the head perfectly is you know when you and Tude Guerrero did the uh, did the dive off head to Gaza, um, that was a great spot. But at the end, I, I couldn't remember who. Who he actually did that dive off, and um, so I went. I, I wanted to just rewind it to the point of, of finding it. Normally, when you you know you look back on a typical American style match, you could go halfway through and you'll know whereabouts that particular move move was. Around, uh, I rewound this match, and I could not tell you whether it was before it or whether it was after it because the, the fact that there were just loads of dives going on all the time, and um, you know I, I couldn't really you know I had to sit sit through a lot of it again just to find out who. Uh, who did the dive off, and you know, I think that says everything that you need to know about this match. Eric, this is an extreme comparison, but does it not say something in some way, shape or form that Dennis Rodman got a far bigger reaction for an arm drag than any of these guys did for any of the shit they did? Well, it's the perfect example of when you do too much and when you do everything, then nothing is effective. Whereas with Rodman, you've got this NBA all-star coming in, and he does a, a textbook arm drag, and that's something. That's something that the crowd isn't burned out of by seeing on Nitro every week. That's not something the crowd is burned out of by watching, I think this was about a 10-minute match, and watching nobody sell anything uh, for for the entirety of the 10 minutes. Um, yeah, so I think, I think this crowd, um, you know, this was a really good uh, gymnastics display. But this crowd, uh, yeah, they did too much. I mean, they, we criticized that Jericho Dragon match 
earlier for them doing too much. And and, and these guys made Jericho and Dragon look like Adrian Adonis and Uncle Elmer from WrestleMania two. I mean, that's just the, that's the slowest match that I can that I can pull out of my hat. And and this was just this was just too much. Um, Bobby, I'll give you the the I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars to tell me who's legal and raise you. Tony calling Brain a Rudo and Bobby calling Tony a Wimpo. So that was funny too. Yeah, I totally read it. But I don't. I read the whole stuff in this match. I mean, just. Everything was going on. I mean, I, I do want to single out that side in the same way that it would have been early 96, I think. There was a, a tag match involving the main Barbarian and Benoit. And Benoit, I think it was Barbarian, got on the top rope. And Benoit gave Barbarian a belly-to-belly suplex. And Barbarian just went miles. And about three foot from the other corner. And in this one, like, Garza kind of crouches over by the ropes uh, adjacent to the entrance ramp. And Hoventu just jumps off him. And most people, when they kind of fly over the top rope, generally start falling as they cross the ropes. I think he was still going up. <laughs> it went miles. Um, but, yeah, like, it's... There was... There was a fuckload of really, really good moments in this match. And yet I can't really remember any of them. And that's the problem, and I know it's a style, and I know it's a style that works in another country. I also said it is easier for guys that are cold to get over with moves like this and is wrestling a, a more methodical style, fine. But it, it only works so much, and my big problem with the entire match, I don't really understand what the point was anyway, because you do a fuckload of stuff, a load of big dives, big moves, match-ending moves, Viano 5 runs out. It looks nothing like Viano 4. They're dressed the same, but the body type's nowhere near similar. Dives into the ring, gets hit with a standing moonsault, and he loses. I couldn't work that out. Eric? I mean, it wouldn't be WCW if you didn't have a match packed full of all this stuff, and then you still have a run-in in a, in a, in a bullshit finish that gets fucked up somehow. So I thought that was just par for the course. Uh, it was it was funny that Viana Five runs in and they're the Viana Four, Viana Five, and they, they would ostensibly look similar, almost like the Conquistadors back in the '80s, or or even the Smoking Guns were crying out loud, at least in terms of appearance. And, and these guys look nothing alike, even though they're wearing the same outfit. I guess the Headhunters might be a better example. And uh, and it was just ridiculous. And then they they somehow fuck it up. And then a corkscrew drop kick and a standing moonsault win after these guys have basically thrown themselves into oncoming traffic for ten minutes. Yeah, it's weird. Like, like in theory, it was a good match, but it's just you could get twice the reaction with half the stuff. That's never a good sign. Yeah, slow down. I mean, just these guys don't have to do this in this country. They don't. They, they just don't have to. And and they, I know it's the style that they that they like and the style they've cultivated for themselves. And the reason they're over in 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 Mexico and in Japan and throughout the world, but they don't have to do this. They can do half as much and get a much better reaction here. And I wish they would realize that. I reckon they could do half as much and we'd still be saying it was too fast. Um, oh, yeah. That, that's just my read on the whole thing. This was this was ridiculous. Um, still good, but, you know, hollow. I feel like, you know, if Gar's putting in this much effort and doing this much shit, it, it, it could mean a, could potentially a lot more. Anyway, two, Kevin Sullivan with Jacqueline and Jimmy Hart versus Chris Benoit in a retirement match. Sullivan and Jacqueline aren't getting along in the R-way. 
the exchange of punches with neither man selling. Jacqueline sends Benoit into a bit of guardrail. Benoit fights back. Jacqueline fights back. This is basically just a two-on-one. Benoit picks Jacqueline up and throws her onto Sullivan. We head to the set, like sand, palm trees. Uh, there's a big kind of lifeguard chair, etc. Benoit gets sent into it and then gets hit with a surfboard. <clears throat> Jimmy Hart climbs to the top of the lifeguard chair. The hut collapses. Then Benoit shoves Hart off the chair onto a pile of something. Could have been sand. Sullivan apologizes Benoit onto the floor. For some reason, Jimmy Hart is already back up. We finally return to the ring. Sullivan sits Benoit on the steps and ties him in a tree of row around the wing step. The ring steps. Sullivan crotches Benoit on the guardrail. If you're wondering, Raven Richards is still sat there watching. Benoit puts Sullivan in the crossface. Sullivan fights and barely stays in it. He's around for ages, attempting to get to the ropes, and he finally gets there. Sullivan puts Benoit in the tree of row. Jacqueline puts a wooden chair in the ring. She wants to hit Benoit herself, but gets in an argument with Sullivan, then hits Sullivan with the chair, which disintegrates nicely over his head. Diving headbutt, and that's the three, and a big pop from the crowd. Sullivan gets into an argument with Jimmy Hart and maintains Sullivan let them down. I'm somewhat disappointed to see that Gene Oakland doesn't go up to Sullivan after the match just to ram home the fact that his career is now over. Do you realise what's happened, Kevin? (laughs) 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 Reprisal from what happened last month. Eric, what do you think of this? Uh, This is probably the worst match they've had on television, which is too bad because it was their blow-off. There are street fights they had where they'd fight in the concession stands and up into the, the back and you know, everywhere here and there uh, were much better. Um, this match, it was weird because this match was 13 minutes long. It was one of the longer matches on the show, and it felt pretty short. It felt like they had a really good start, a good walking brawl, better than most DCW walking brawls, frankly, for the first five or six minutes of this match. And then it, they got in the ring, and it just kind of died. Um, they weren't really able to cultivate any momentum. Uh, you know, right guy went over, obviously, but uh, the, the, the finish was kind of, Telegraph, Jackie kind of grabbed the chair, held it, and waited for Sullivan to get into position before she hit him. I don't know. It just looked looked about a step too slow. Um, but I, looking at this long term and looking at, at Sullivan, his career in Florida, that's where he made his name. That's where he's probably still the most over. Really good kind of long-term uh, planning, if this was their plan, uh, to get Sullivan retired in Florida where he would be guaranteed a, a, a nice ovation. And I'm just happy to see uh, Benoit, who's one of the better in-ring guys right now, move on to somebody a little bit more uh, credible uh, from a from an in-ring standpoint. What? Yeah, like Eric said, uh, you know, it's it's a shame that these guys. Well, it's a shame that this feud has gone on for as long as it has because they've had so many matches throughout, and there's been some absolute gems in in this feud. Um, and then when it comes to the blow-off. It is hard to top some of those matches that they've had. You know, they probably didn't want to go down the the, the same route as uh, as some of those matches. So, you know, they try and change it up a little bit. There was a bit of street fighting, uh, and then obviously there was some uh, there was some in ring work as well. But I was actually quite confused because um, I don't know whether they made mention of this uh, before or, or during the match or anything like that. But when they did take the fight into uh, into not into the back, but up on the alleyway onto the state beach, etc., it was like a three on one. But then when they took it to the ring, it was one-on-one. Sullivan was getting a beat down. And, you know, Jackie and uh, Jimmy just uh, just stayed on the outside. So that, for me, was uh, uh, was a bit off and, you know, didn't really add up. But uh, like Eric says as well, you know, I thought it was an obvious ending. With, uh, with I, I kind of thought that we'd probably see something like that anyway. Um, 
because if if, if Kevin Sullivan is going to be retired, do we, you know we're not going to see those two. So is it, you know they're obviously going to break up. Are they going to have any plans for Jackie? Possibly not, considering that there's no real women's division in in WCW. She's probably not going to join the Nitro Girls. So we're going to have to see some some kind of uh, break up there as well. So I, I, I kind of thought that it would happen during this match anyway. I wish they'd put Jackie against the Nitro Girls and get that crap off the TV. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, um, I, I don't necessarily disagree with the sentiment that, well, one that Eric said that this this match is, you know, was not their best. In arguably, it was their worst. Um, and I kind of just feel like this match has come a little too late. Um, as long as this feud has been going, we, we talk about WCW attention to detail earlier and there, you know, nuance. Um, this feud has had very, very little of it, which meant it, it took a long while to get people invested and it kind of got over in spite of some of its booking flaws. But I think it also meant that when it started to fizzle out, there wasn't really any saving it. Um, and that was kind of where we ended up here. But we kind of got to the point there wasn't really any saving this feud and I don't think that... Uh, I, I don't think enough people were really invested in it. Um, I don't think the match told a particularly coherent story. Yeah, much like a lot of this show, like I don't necessarily know it was bad, but I can't really tell you it was good. Um, you know, and I, I you know, we, we've got the finish with Sullivan and Jackie, you know, getting into an argument. Sullivan's retired and Jackie's not wrestling. She's going to be managing Harlem Heat, apparently. Um, I don't know exactly what that was for. I don't know why Benoit didn't just kill him. I mean, if if Sullivan's not going to wrestle anymore, there's no immediate use for him on television. I've heard word they might try and move into an announcer's position. But you could have Benoit write him off in a, a blaze of glory, at least for a couple of months, while he starts working backstage, and then you try and work out whether there's any role for him at all on television. Um, just not a great match. It was fine. Um... You know, like I'd have, we should have got writing people off. I don't know why Jimmy Hart returned so quickly after taking what admittedly was a pretty safe bump. You know, there's sand everywhere and it didn't fall that far. Uh, but that would have been a good way to get rid of him. And I kind of agree with Wayne that I don't really know what happened with Jackie and that she was involved in the match heavily and then it got back in the ring and apparently she couldn't get involved until she did, which again is kind of a bit convoluted. But yeah, it was, it was okay. Um, was it a, a great blast to a great feud? Well, it wasn't really either of those things. Um, I think, as long story short, it was fine. But I'm, I'm glad to see Benoit's moving on now because I think I think we've hit the the end of the road with this. Okay. We move on next to Steve McMichael with Deborah versus Jeff Jarrett. But Michael grabs hold of Jarrett's US title and poses with it. There's a lot of stalling and exchange of arm drags and more stalling. But Michael hits a slam and the three point stance. Mongo sends Jarrett to the floor, then sends him into the guardrail. Mongo chokes Jarrett with an electrical cable. Of course, the ref just watch it happen, and Dusty Rhodes underscores it with the most mundane pieces of commentary on the show so far. Jarrett hits a three-point stance, barely, then another. Deborah gets on the apron. The ref goes to send her away, but a real nice sleight of hand from Deborah gives Jarrett the case. With the ref dealing with Deborah, Jarrett thumps at Michael with the case and picks up the win. Deborah has sided with Jarrett. Wayne? Uh, I, I didn't get the layout of this match at all. Um, the match itself wasn't too bad. Um, I think Steve McMichaels has, uh, has come a long way in... Uh, uh, in you know the space of time that he's been here, he, he's obviously 
I'd like to think he's going to get better. Um, but uh, but you know, I, I, I don't mind watching uh, watching his matches. Jarrett, you know, a, a character. And, uh, you know, I can't get into the guy. You know, he's he's, he's not likable at all. But he, you know, he puts on a good, a good enough match anyway. But the, you know, the, what I mean by the layout of this match is the previous Nitro to this pay per view, Piper's getting a beat down off the Horseman, and stupid enough, it cuts off to a commercial. But in the background of the of the commentators, you can see Jarrett has run down and he's cleaning house and and, and saving and, and saving Piper. So that to me says. Okay, so they're really going with this face push. He comes into this match, I'd probably say as a face, and then all of a sudden he's, you know, he's, he's going in as a heel, and you know, people could say, well, he was getting low Jarrett Sucks chance, so he decides that he's, uh, you know, he's, he's going to uh, go with the flow of this match with the, with the crowd. But then the ending says that it was all planned out anyway. So I just didn't get how from Monday is, is a massive face, and now he's, he's, he's a heel, and there's no explanation as to why. Right. Oh God, I, I'm afraid uh, to say this, but I loved this match. Um, this, <laughs> this is too. Oh wait, you're, you're you're not joking. No, at all, not at all. Um, <laughs> and, and that that seemed like the the all too classic and never funny where someone says this was great and then three seconds later said no, well it was rubbish. No, um, but on, this is truly great. Uh, this was this was such a classically laid out match. I mean, this you could have slid this match into WrestleMania three, and it would have fit in perfectly. And sometimes that's what you need, especially after the uh, the the subpar Benoit sold in match that had weird booking for eighteen months, and then the Luchadors before that. I you know go back and listen to World War three ninety six. I'm I'm not a big Jared fan. Uh, at all, uh, I do. You know, Mongo has improved. We cannot deny that Mongo has improved uh, pretty significantly uh, over the past uh, several months. And this match was just was just pretty well, uh, pretty well executed. It was a house show style match. There was a lot of stalling at the beginning. Uh, they were definitely filling out the crowd. Jarrett realized he was going to be a heel before he was a heel, uh, and that that kind of made the match. That kind of fixed the dynamic of the match as they went through it. Now, one thing that I thought was really well executed, and we almost never say this about WCW, is the end. And Bobby mentioned the slide of hand from Deborah, and that was good. And Deborah's really improved as well. Uh, but the other thing is, Jared goes to hit Mongo. Mongo sees it, and Mongo blocks the initial shot with the case, with his elbow or with his forearm. But he sells the shot to his forearm as being painful as it would be, which allowed then Jarrett to get a clean shot with the briefcase. And so many times in wrestling, we see a guy turn around, arms at his side, clearly see the weapon coming in, and he doesn't try to block it at all. He doesn't do anything. And it's like, man, if I was being hit by a fucking Halliburton briefcase, I would do everything I could to block that. Um, and I thought this was just played off really, really well. Mongo's improved a lot, and this is the second month in a row where Mongo's had a really good match on pay-per-view. We give him a lot of we give him a lot of hell, and he's been paired with two guys that kind of carried him through uh, uh, matches in one sense or another the last couple months. But man, this I was just shockingly entertained by this. I really liked it. I, I, if, if that had been Dell, I'd probably call him out on his bullshit for uh, try to try to give a match full credit was you no Eric I, I, I wasn't half as drawn in by this match as you were but fair play for a, a very convincing explanation as to why um, yeah I 
you know, I, I, I thought Michael had a significantly better match for Kevin Green last month. Uh, let's say that. Um, I don't think there was much to this match. I mean, you know, we complained about a match earlier on having a lot of athleticism and no story. This was the opposite, and it was probably comparable to it in some respects. Um, but no, I don't think that this worked particularly well. You know, I, I, I don't know what Michael's purpose is anymore. It's like he's he's... He had notoriety while he was an ex-footballer. The problem is, is that now he's really a pro wrestler. And he's not a very good pro wrestler. He's a, he's a great ex-footballer turned pro wrestler, but much in the same way that Kevin Green is probably not going to sign on for WCW full-time. Is As great as he was last month, when you start to consider them pro wrestlers, you start to hold them to a higher standard. Um, and this match was not that good. Jarrett's not that good either. Deb was the best part of this match. Um, certainly with the finish. I'll give you the attention to detail on the end. It wasn't something I immediately picked up upon, but it's it's nice when guys get those kind of things right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, Devil with Jarrett's a weird one. It kind of, it feels a bit strange. Like, Michael's a baby face, but I don't know if he's the kind of baby face people are going to get behind all that much beyond kind of the, just the, the ex-NFL thing. Um, and yeah. Just a, a poor match, really, I thought. But but there we go. Anyway, we get a pro in black and white between Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman. Up next, it's Scott Hall and Randy Savage with Mrs. Elizabeth versus Don Dallas Page with Kimberly Page and Kurt Henning. Literally, fuck all pop for Henning as the mystery partner. Suspect the crowd were home for Sting. We'll actually take a little bit of a sidebar here. Um, Wayne, when Don Dallas Page first cut a promo, I think this was in June at the end of, um, and he was kind of previewing this match he said I've got a mystery partner but I'm not going to tell you who it is and they very very not so subtly had Paige look up to the rafters i.e. to hint it was Sting amongst other things um, and Wayne I don't know that that amongst anything else because apparently there's a story that I think it was Dave Penzer Dave Penzer in the um, before this show went out before this show started went to the live crowd and said who do you think the mystery partner's going to be and most of them went Sting because that was what they'd been led to believe um, and I've got my own questions about Kurt Henning that I think we'll probably address at the end of the match but Wayne I don't know that it helped them very helped Henning very much that he was walking out in what's supposed to be Sting's spot and that didn't help him at all well, yeah, I mean, there is that, um, but I think the fact that the the already revealed Kurt Hennig has signed for WCW uh, either a couple of weeks ago or the previous uh, Nitro, um, you know, that that probably hurt him as well because when he come out, it was kind of what you know some of us were could have been expected if you know if Sting's not coming down the rafters, he's going to be walking down the aisleway, then it's probably not going to be Sting, is it? So. Uh, um, when DDP looked back, you know, he kind of thought that, well, I did anyway, I thought, right, okay, so it, it is Kurt Hennig then, but um, in, in, in the Sting part, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't, that they didn't use him in this spot, um, you know, no disrespect to DDP for all the praise that we do give him, um, I, you know, I think we can see Sting's first match back as, uh, as you know, a, a higher profile match than, than this. Eric? Yeah, I agree with Wayne. The mistake wasn't uh, having Henning as the partner. The mistake was teasing the crowd that somebody way better was going to be the partner. Uh, you know, Henning's kind of a WWF guy, and, and even though 
1997, and you know the the WWF NWA Jim Crockett promotions uh, divide doesn't uh, quite exist anymore. Hennig is probably well known as a WWF guy, and a lot of these Southern wrestling fans may not give a shit about him. And so the fact that he's this WWF guy coming out um, to basically reprise the main event of Survivor Series '92, um, it, it wasn't well executed. They they needed to build Hennig as a credible uh, as a credible wrestler. I don't think this guy's has this guy Bob has this guy had a match since 1992 or three. I don't think so. Well, I, no, so I think uh, I've got a feeling the last match with him was on our first show. I've got a feeling, because I think he was on SummerSlam 93, and I don't think he's wrestled since. Yeah, and so this, I mean, there's a lot of new wrestling fans right now because the product, for WCW, because the product is so hot and you've got eyes on Rodman and Hogan and on all these guys, so it's no surprising that a guy who's kind of a, an old, an older face, uh, an older person, wouldn't be so re- revered. So, Building Sting as this guy and then having Hennig as the swerve uh, was was the mistake. Not having Hennig as the partner himself. No, I, I I'd agree with that. I, I also kind of wonder, amongst anything else, where even in the interview on, oh, you know, we would have heard it at the start of the show. In the interview on Nitro before this, it's not like Hennig was this big baby face. I mean, they barely had time to promote any nuance anyway. But I kind of get the feeling that, and it's going to kind of dovetail into the match review in a sec in that I kind of get the feeling everyone came out and went oh okay you're going to turn on him now like I don't know maybe I'm wrong but that was my first thought when it was happening like that was the only logical way out of this match they weren't pinning any of the other three so it was a, 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 a reasonable conclusion for it um, and yeah like you know the Sting thing would have been excuse me would have been tricky but I you know I don't know this is the best way out we'll, we'll discuss heading more in a bit let's start the match shall we Page and Sarah start out in earnest. Hall gets involved and wants after Henning, who gets tagged in. Hall fix a two-pick. Henning spits his gun back. Henning is in great shape, it should be said. Physically, ring shape's another question. Henning hits a lee lift and then an atomic drop, then a reverse atomic drop, or well, the other way around. Then hits a float over snap neck breaker. Page hits a pile drive, a flapjack, then just smashes Savage on the apron. Page and Hall brawl around a bit. Page gets thrown to the floor and Sarish throws him onto the steps. Henning gets thrown into the ropes randomly. Page, right, let's try this again. Henning gets thrown into the ropes randomly. Page was kind of on the floor, basically trying to deadlift himself back into the ring with the idea that he was trying to pull the ropes down. Problem was, he didn't really pull it off. So rather than Henning falling over the top rope, he kind of just bounced off. Henning falls to the outside, punches Page, he walks off, Page gets dumped back in the ring, Hall hits the outside edge, Sarah hits an elbow drop, and that will do that. Eric, I don't know that the stuff we discussed helped the match, but I also don't know the match was very good either. Yeah. Uh, this is the... Uh, yes, this is another one of those matches where you watch it and you think... Every match on this pay-per-view almost so far has been, was that good? Was that bad? I'm not sure. And I, this is the match that I went back and watched again, because especially for that finish. And Yeah, this this match was just stop-start, and they basically had to fill time until the angle at the end, which they fucked up anyway. Um, Hall is great. Um, Savage is fine. Um, DDP is good. And then Hennig, he looks great, 
but he doesn't look like Mr. Perfect. He's clearly significantly heavier than he was uh, a couple of years ago, even if he's in good shape. Um, and he and he hasn't had an opportunity to work off the cobwebs. And when you throw him in against somebody who's as good as Hall, somebody who's as okay as Savage, and, and a partner with DDP who's gotten much better, it really kind of highlights the fact that this guy hasn't been in a competitive environment in three or four years. Um, and then the finish was just... The announcers tried to cover for it, and they did pretty well. But I, I think I think at the least, if the finish had come off how they intended it with Hennig tumbling over the top rope and, and him and DDP getting into a scuffle, it would have maybe salvaged it. But, uh, yeah, this was just it, – it was tough sledding. Why? Yeah, um, first things first, I've got to say that I think uh, Kimberly is definitely the hottest that, uh, that I've ever seen her. Uh, oh, my God. Was, yeah, was, uh, was was too sweet. Um, Can we get yeah. a second to her? Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping that's to, to come. I don't, I don't know. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, the, the match, I think, the match is dictated by the bookends. Um, obviously, we've discussed uh, one end, which was the reveal of, uh, of Kurt Hennig and, and, you know, maybe the disappointment that it wasn't, that it wasn't Sting. So, uh, you know, it, it could have come in as a, as a bit of a dump squid to start off with. Um, I personally, you know, it, it, I thought it was good to see Henny back. Um, you know, I, I, I loved the the Mr. Perfect character. You know, it was probably, um, you know, one of my one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Um, you know, through the early nineties, etc. So to see him back was, uh, you know, was was great to watch. And you know, he even pulled out some of the some of the moves. Granted, you know, they were probably moves that he had before he comes to the WWF. But you know, seeing the, uh, um, you know, the the the, the high knee and. Uh, the, the you know the knee into the first one the bent over and the the bit the spot where um where the opponent sat sat down on and then he does the, uh, the you know the flip over and, and gets them to you know to flip backwards they're, they're all spots that uh, are, are well known with um, you know with Hennig uh, Hennig's move set so uh, you know it was great to see that yeah you know like like Eric says is a little bit heavier now so. You know, maybe that's going to change his style, and, and and the fact that coming into this match or or during this match, we could definitely tell that he was uh, he was very very rusty. Um, but yeah, it, obviously the other part of it was was the other bookend, which was which was the finish. It was it was it was quite underwhelming. So it, it kind of spoiled the you know my my overall thinking of of this match, just those actual bookends, and you know without those, maybe we would have seen a better match. Yeah, um, for what it's worth, I mean, this was subsequent to the pay-per-view, but they had a, a, a syndicated set of tapings down in uh, in Florida, wherever they were, um, and Henning wrestled a load of dark matches on those tapings just to tune himself up. Um, he's, you know, he looks in good shape, but he's, you know, I don't think he's in ring shape yet, which probably doesn't help. But yeah, I think that was my that was my big problem. I think one, you've got a crowd that are flat because they were home for seeing they didn't get it. That doesn't help anybody. You've got a crowd that are probably expecting a Henning turn anyway. And then the angle that you devised for the Henning turn wasn't particularly good full stop. And then when they fuck it up, that really doesn't help either. Um, yeah, I think you combine all those things together. This match wasn't really long enough to, to cash in on any of the, the kind of information they had. But Eric, I guess a more general question just about heading full stop. Like I I have a feeling when WCW signed him, I mean, you know, informally they signed him in about October last year. Um but Henning had to, to ride out the rest of his WWF contract before he could debut. 
I kept the feeling they thought they were getting more than this when they signed him. Because not to say he's bad and not to say he can't find that that ring step again. Um, but I don't know what Kurt Henning is in 1997. I, he feels a bit out of place, particularly in WCW. Well, he was never real on a national level. He was never really Kurt Hennig. He was Mr. Perfect. Uh, he was he was Kurt Hennig in the AWA, and and I'll give a shout out to Portland Wrestling here back in the in the early to mid '80s. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about Portland with Roddy Piper. Um, but uh, yeah, he was never really Kurt Hennig on a national level. So you bring this guy out and you give him this generic name, and and he's clearly older and heavier, and he hasn't wrestled in a number of years, and. And he was never really a top guy when he was Mr. Perfect anyway. He was always kind of uh, adjacent to the top guys. He was Ric Flair's consultant, and he, he had a little bit of a program with Hogan, but they never had a pay-per-view match. And he was always in the Intercontinental title picture, but never really in the main event. And so when you – and that's not the case for, say, Hall or Nash or um, or even somebody like, like, uh, like, Walt, like Waltman, who was more – recently in a relevant um, storyline and feud in, in, in the WWF. And so you take this guy who was Mr. Perfect and not Kurt Hennig, and then you make him Kurt Hennig, and he hasn't wrestled in three or four years, and you expect to get this huge pop out of him. And really after that long and with that change, you have to build the guy back up. And so they're getting a guy who doesn't really have any national name value, who hasn't wrestled in a long time, and due to the nature of the injuries that he sustained while he was Mr. Perfect, can't wrestle the same style that he did, which made him great. So they're, they they either were sold or bought a, a, a bill of goods that, that cannot be delivered. And so this is all on WCW. I mean, they, they wanted Mr. Perfect, and they got Kurt Hennig. Yeah, that's a very succinct way of putting it. I mean, that was the, that was the debut at the end of June. That was kind of why we didn't really discuss it on last month's show. He walks out at the very end of the show. Bobby Heenan goes, oh, shit, that's Kurt Hennig. I probably didn't swear. He went, that's Kurt Hennig. And then the show ended. Because that's kind of all you've got. Like, how do you... What, what do you say? You know, it's he, he doesn't have that recognition name-wise that Savage or Hogan does. What do you say to get Kurt Hennig over to someone that doesn't know who Kurt Hennig is? Because he doesn't have a magnificent look. He's not massively tall. He's in good shape, but he's not massively memorable. He's kind of got the shaggy hair, which is iconic for him, but not a great look for people who don't know who he is. And what do you say about Kurt Hennig? Why is he important? Because he used to be Mr. Perfect, but you can't use the name Mr. Perfect, and you can't really use the gimmick, and you can't really mention that he's from the WWF. We can buy all those things together. I don't know what you're left with. Um, you're left with a guy, not for the first time, that I feel like WCW are happy to have just because it stops WWF having that guy. Um, but it means you present them like this, and then you wonder why it blows out. And not to say that it will. Um, I suspect that once they get their shit in order, exactly what to do with it, that might change. Um, but Wayne, I don't really know where they're going with all of this. Um, they turned in, which is fine. Um, I suspect he would have been better as a heel, but I don't feel he's an immediately brilliant fit in either the NWO or the Four Horsemen. Well, time will tell on that. Um, I personally think he would be a good fit with uh, with the Horsemen. Um, I think he, uh, he he gelled really well with with Fleur in, in his WWF run. Um, you know, those two work, work, work well together. Um, and I'm actually uh, 
you know, the, the, the promos that they've had together where Flo's been trying to entice him into the horseman. You know, I've actually been wanting him to, to go in that direction. You know, there's kind of a spot open in there, so that would probably make sense. Um, so for, for me, um, you know, I, I disagree with uh, with the horseman, but again, that's just my uh, my personal preference. We move on next to Ronnie Piper versus Ric Flair. Piper just starts laying into Flair. Flair retreats up the ramp. Flair and Piper exchange slaps in the corner. Flair just flops to the mat. Flair is working over Piper's knee as he's in control. The crowd isn't really favouring one guy over the other. Flair puts in the figure four. Piper fights and starts feeling off of the crowd as he rolls it over. Piper stops, starts fighting. Flair pulls Mark Curtis in close and then just low blows Piper. That spot's never not going to be good. We get out to the floor and the pair exchange slaps. Flair puts in a sleeper. He's clearly got his foot on the top rope. Despite this, the ref counts about four pins before Flair gets up. Piper puts Flair in the figure four. Flair rides and gets to the ropes. Flair gets some knocks. Piper gets them off him and then levels Flair. And out comes Michael and Benoit. Benoit goes to the top, shakes for a diving headbutt onto Flair after Piper moves. That looks really signposted. That didn't look good at all. Piper kind of looks at Benoit. Benoit looks at Piper and then jumps and then Piper moved. But Michael hits a jumping tombstone pile driver onto Piper. Flair covers Piper eventually, but Piper kicks out to a big reaction. Piper locks in the sleeper hold. Flair fades, passes out, and Piper wins cleanly for a big reaction. Wayne. I think there's going to be a, you know, a lot of people moaning, saying that you know these two are, are past the best, and in some ways they they, they definitely are. Um, but for me, I was actually, you know, really anticipating this match. Um, I think they've, they've they've built it fairly well. I think they probably could have done a better job with um, with you know the fact that Flo should have actually just turned on Piper instead of the way that it did actually go down a couple of weeks ago. Um, but for you know for leading up to this match, I've actually been looking forward to these two go at it. Yes, obviously they'd have a better match against each other ten years ago, um, but I've never actually seen these two go at it before. So you know, there's you know for a, for a big field match, I definitely got that from it. Don't get me wrong, coming into it, I think it went on for far too long. I think the Ericle no for definite, but I think it went on for 13, 14 minutes, which for these two was, uh, you know, was was far too long. Uh, if they shaved off six, five, six, seven minutes, then we probably would have got a better match out of the uh, out of the two. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, there's a, there's a few things in, uh, you know, the rest spot where Fleur had his had his legs on the rope, uh, and he was, you know, the, the referee looked at him and, and, and saw that his legs were on the rope but still went for the pin. And I thought that was convoluted and maybe we could have uh, done something about that. But, um, you know, Piper was the right winner for the match. I think, you know, hopefully can, you know, walk away now and, uh, uh, and you know, go off into the sunset. But I'm, I'm probably not going to hold my breath on that one too much. Eric? Yeah, 13-26. Um, if, right, we, we if, we, if we made fun of Dragon and Jericho for trying to cram 20 minutes in the 13... I guess we have to give uh, Flair and, and Piper the same amount of uh, criticism for trying to stretch out a five-minute match into 13 minutes. But, uh, you know, we'll go through the problems with this match. There's a lot of them. Uh, Dusty says both guys are in their prime for getting it's not 1983. Um, Rick Flair's work punches were fucking terrible. I don't know what he was doing here. Uh, Piper was laying them in, so I don't know. Rick, Rick was just off his game. The referee spot was terrible. Um, 
the the horsemen look like clowns every time Piper uh, fights him. Okay, all that out of the way. This, you know, are you not entertained by these guys? I mean, the cr- they had the crowd in the palm of their fucking hand five minutes into this match, and 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 they worked a match that that is probably the opposite of the trios match earlier. I mean, if you put two matches on uh, side by side, you couldn't get two two more different wrestling matches into one card. This was not a good match, but it was stupidly entertaining. The crowd was into it. I got drawn into it. This match is probably going to get negative 19 stars from Dave Meltzer, but, boy, if you're not entertained by this, I don't know why you're watching wrestling. And state of Portland sports right now in 1997, any time one of our guys can get a W on, on television, I'm all in. So good for Roddy Piper. Let's do it. Representing the... Uh... Representing the state, yeah, I, I yeah, um, it, Flair has been, I don't want to say going through the motions for a while, but he's he, he's been on greatest hits now for at least a couple of years, um, but these two guys do just know what they're doing, um, and it's, you, they don't need to do a lot to get crowd involved, because the crowd are invested before the match starts, which always helps, um, I think they're trying to make Ric Flair the heel in this, I don't think it's working, I don't think it's going to work, but that's, Seems to be how they're setting it out, at least. This was fine. Yeah, it was a bit too long. Um, but the crowd were always invested. You know, the match never really got out of second gear, but that's not a big problem. Um, the interference with Ben Mar and Michael, I probably could have done without, but I suspect that's more of a case of just dovetailing into the, the kind of horseman restructure that they're, that they're having going on. I think the right guy won. Um... Piper beats Flair cleanly and then they can heat that back up again perhaps next month, perhaps the month after um, and see where they go from there would be the the, the, the way I'd kind of set that up. Um, but yeah, a good match. Arguably the best match on the card in some respects. Um, very, very enjoyable between two guys that you probably expect nothing less from. Anyway, we're getting to the main event. We've got Michael Buffer on. We've got the Michael Buffer treatment, the, the treatment, and these entrances are going to take a while. It's Lex Luger and the Giant versus Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman with Randy Savage. We start with Luger and Hogan. Hogan tries for a takedown. He then starts flexing and calls for Giant. Hogan levels Luger with a shoulder tackle, then poses again. Lots of stalling so far. Hogan hits a body slam and then misses an elbow. The crowd is just waiting for Rodman. Hogan goes to the corner, hugs Rodman, and then tags him in. Rodman takes his time, has a chat with Hogan. A large Rodman sucks chat goes up, I think. Could have been Hogan sucks, I'm not entirely sure. Luger's the opposite side of the ring. Rodman then hits an arm drag, and the place erupts. He gets back up, and his shoulder glasses are still on, and Hogan starts celebrating. Luger hits a pair of arm drags himself, and then two on Hogan. Rodman is having a fit on the floor. Robert manages to leapfrog Luger, which is great before levelling him. Luger's face is a picture after all of that. Luger levels Robman, who finally tags out. The ring, for what it's worth, has been steadily pelted with garbage all match as Giant finally tags in. Giant shakes for a choke slam. the NWO regroup on the floor. Giant dominates Hogan, and Hogan actually tags out, and Robman wants in. Robman gets a knee in, then a leapfrog, and then just uh, jumps into uh, jumps into a giant bear hug. Giant starts slapping Rodman's butt. I, I mean, what else? Giant holds Rodman up for a choke, and Hogan takes Giant down by the back of the knee. 
Hogan goes after Giant. Luger gets dealt with by the ref as Hogan and Rodman do a double hip toss on Giant. Luger starts running riot. Hogan hits a leg drop. He casually pins Luger, who kicks out. Luger charges Rodman in the corner, who moves in tags Giant. Giant floors Rodman with two big boots. Uh, Rodman and Hogan, sorry, with two big boots. Out walks Sting, although it pretty clearly isn't the real Sting. I'm pretty sure it isn't, as Sting whacks Giant with a baseball bat. The commentators are basically calling it like it is Sting, which probably doesn't help. Hogan runs at Luger. Luger ducks and Hogan levels Rodman. Luger picks up Hogan, racks him. Patrick runs out and Hogan submits. Luger then racks Rodman and then Savage. As ever, shortly after the clean loss, Hogan looks happy as anything. Wasn't quite as bad as last month, but still. Wayne, what do you think of this? I, you know, I thought it was a really good match. Um, okay, so at what point do I admit that I was actually believing that it was Sting? Uh, I don't know whether it was because I had uh, it, it, it was coming to the end of the pay-per-view and I'd, I'd sat through close to three hours, uh, three hours of uh, television, and that I just only had one eye on it. But uh, I was actually convinced it was Sting. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to watch the next episode of Nitro because I wanted to find out why. I was actually, you know, I was really, really confused with uh, you know, why why has Sting just turned and, and, and he's kind of like siding with the with the NWO. Um, but I think that says more about my flaws than uh, than, than anything else. Um, <laughs> but look, this match itself was was nothing but it was just all about Rodman. Uh, that's that's all it was about. Uh, the commentary team was bigging him up. Um, the crowd was uh, was really behind him, um, and you know he got a really really good reaction when uh, when he did the arm drag. Um, those leapfrog were uh, were amazing. Yeah, look, don't get me wrong, he's no Kevin Green, and you know he's got a long way to go if he's going to be adding um, you know more moves to his uh, to his set. But I don't think he will be. You know, I think this is uh, you know maybe a one two time only deal with, uh, with with Rodman. So for what he put on, it was more about the show than the actual uh, than the actual wrestling itself. So from from me, I thought it was uh, you know a fantastic addition of uh, Rodman in in this match um you know made 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 the mw not mw all look strong but um you know it just gave him a bit more profile in that sense as well um again luger him, him, himself how many times has he got to got to be going up against the mw on and, and looking strong before you know something they're going to do something with him and um, it just seems like it's just the same old same old where you know whether it's Luger or whether it's somebody else they, they come off looking really really strong against the NWO and, and then it's kind of all forgotten about I know he's got a match with Hogan coming up but um, is, is it just not going to be one of those points where uh, yeah we're going to make you look strong but we're not really going to do anything with you right. that's my only sorry uh, you know Hard to judge this match because it's not a match for wrestling fans per se. This is a, a match to get mainstream attention, and uh, and so you kind of have to judge it in that in that respect. And you know, so you think of LT at, at WrestleMania 11. You think of Kevin Green last month. Uh, there have been a few others peppered in throughout. Mr. T at WrestleMania 2. I didn't think I'd get two WrestleMania 2 references in this show, but there you go. Um, and uh, and this was pretty good. Uh, Rodman is uh, he's very athletic. He's he's as big as some of these guys, at least height wise. He's very skinny. Uh, I think that's emphasized when you see him next to somebody like Luger or Hogan, or Giant for crying out loud, who hasn't missed any meals. But you know he's, he's athletic enough to go through these spots. He's coordinated. He's one of the toughest guys in, in the NBA, so that helps because he can take a bump and he's probably not afraid to you know to do so. Um, 
yeah, this was this was entertaining. I, I I didn't go into this match as a wrestling fan thinking it's going to be you know Terry Funk or or Ricky Steamboat versus Ric Flair. I thought this was going to be a match where if they can get through it and not fuck anything up too bad, uh, and 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 Rodman can get a couple spots in, and Hogan can kind of uh, take do the brunt of the work for uh, for that team and, and and Giant. Believe it or not, was probably the best worker in this match. Um, well, not believe it or not, he, he was. Uh, Giant's the best worker in this match by a, a, a clear margin. Uh, it was fine. Uh, they got more out of Rodman than I think they probably anticipated or, or even needed, uh, and that's good. Uh, same with LT and same with, with Kevin Green last month. So it's not on me to judge this match in terms of a wrestling match because it was a spectacle. It was an entertainment uh, feature piece to get them some mainstream attention. In that sense, it was very good, uh, and the, re- the right team won. Um, and, you know, ultimately Luger gets – Hogan one-on-one, so all this no-selling after the match, it's fine. Uh, Rodman did great, and that's all that matters. Uh, and so I think if we just look at it through that lens, um, this match was 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 good. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you can know of Rodman's ability, but I don't think Luger and Hogan were acting with those facial expressions during the no. middle period. Like, I mean, Luger ducked under the ducked under the leapfrog and then took another move and kind of just regrouped in the core. I was like, holy fuck. Um, and when, when Rodman hits that initial arm drag, Hogan's in the corner with like a, a smirk on his face. Like he's in character kind of celebrating the move, but there's a bit of him is like, shit, that was quite impressive. Um, and yeah, it's, it's the Kevin Green thing from last month. It's the, it's the athlete who's just really, really good on his feet. Um, and that can translate very, very quickly. You know, you've got that there are certain characteristics that, that good wrestlers will probably share with great athletes. Um, and so it's no massive surprise when someone like Rodman can pull off some of that kind of stuff just because you'll get it. Um, yeah, I think, Eric, I think you're right. This this touches on a thing we've kind of said before. This match wasn't really about a match. It was about mainstream attention. Was about getting the shots for the press, getting the shots for the photos. It was about getting Rodman in the right place. Kind of why, to a point, why I suspect Luger may have won the match because they kind of thought, well, it doesn't really matter. The story at the end is Rodman, and that's why that was why they did all the stuff with Luger, and that was why it was so long. I think. I mean, it's over twenty minutes. It's a long match, and in some respects, that probably hurt it. Um, but Rodman was doing enough, and, and Randy Savage was out there essentially just to be there in case the whole thing fell apart, and Savage wasn't really needed until the finish, which is testament to all involved. Um, but they gave it a long time to give themselves the amount of opportunity they needed to get that Rodman stuff involved, and he was the star of this match. Everything else was everything else. Luger racking Hogan again is a sign they're moving towards something next month. Um, you know, back-to-back title matches is an interesting ploy. What happened there, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think this went about as well as they possibly could have expected. Um, and it, it, it got the job done, and it got them the mainstream attention they wanted. I think they wanted they wanted the, the photos of Rodman looking across, you know, eye-to-eye with the giant. That was a big thing they set up. They got that as well. Um, everyone won here, and you can't often say that. Anyway, 
Wayne, your overall thoughts on this show, and if you can find one, a score rating out of ten. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think I've uh, I, I don't think I've made a decision either way of whether I did actually enjoy it or not. But uh, the fact that I didn't really, really dislike it is uh, is, is probably a, a positive, uh, considering some of the uh, some of the dross that we've had to sit through in the past. So, uh, um, you know, I, the main event was was good for what it was. It was uh, it was a spectacle. Um, got to see. Uh, Fleur and, uh, and Piper face off, and, and you know they're two two really really big characters. A few other things through, um, you know, throughout the pay per view as well. So yeah, I, th- I think you know it, it probably was better than uh, than what I come in anticipating. So uh, for that reason, I'll uh, I'll give it a six. All right. One thing to say about the show it had it had a ton of variety. There was lucha matches. There was old school wrestling. Uh, you had young guys uh, like Jericho and, and, and Ultimo Dragon. Uh, video game nonsense to open it up. The main event was really good. Mongo Jarrett was really good, in my opinion. Um, even the stuff that didn't come off well, you know, the ending to DDP, uh, uh, Hennig match, that was, you know, passable enough uh, with the announcers uh, covering for it. Um, this was an entertaining show. Uh, there was really nothing particularly memorable or stellar, nothing um, superb, but there were really no glaring problems either. And I think for a WCW show, that's important because that almost is always the case. Every match was average or better. I think I've talked myself into a 7 out of 10 on this one. Yeah, I'm at a 6. Um, there's nothing bad on this show. There's nothing great on this show. Um it's it's not a good show. It's not a bad show. It's just perfectly middle of the road. Um, and I, I think the one thing that probably we can say in its favour is that this did progress quite a lot of stories. A lot of things moved forward as a result of this show, mostly for good reasons and mostly for the right, well-executed reasons as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's. But it is still a middle of the road show. It is probably missable. I mean, I, I'd, I'd suggest we go back and watching the final two matches. But it is probably missable. But it's not a bad show by any stretch. There's been, uh, there's certainly been worse. Well, first of all, Gene, let's go back in time about six months. Six months ago, I had a match up in Minneapolis, and after the match, I went out for a few beers. At the place I was at. I ran into Hennig. As we continued talking to each other, I realized we had a lot in common. We went to the same school, School of Hard Knocks. Wait a minute. And as we continued talking, he told me about the respect he had for me, as far as my work ethic was concerned, and how I'd come so far so fast. So when it came time for Diamond Dallas Page to find someone to back him up, My first choice, without a doubt, would have been Sting. But Sting's bailed me out so many times, I didn't want to go there. My second choice would have been, without a doubt, Luger and the Giant, either one. But they already had a match with Rodman and Hogan. Great job last night. Amen. So I got on the horn, I made a few calls, and I started thinking, without a doubt, Hennig would be an excellent partner. I called him up. I asked if he wanted to get back in the ring with me. He said he'd be there. 
I thought he was a stand-up guy. I was wrong. But I ain't crying, and I'm not even mad. Because I don't get mad, I get even. And know this, Hennig. It doesn't matter how many times I get knocked down. It matters how many times I get back up. I'm full of surprises. And if you don't believe me, ask Savage about La Parca. Hey! Wait a minute! Thank you! Nitro Live from Orlando. We're going to be back here on Michael Buffer opens us up on July the 14th and asks us if we're ready for the debut of the Nitro Girls. Kimberly Page brings out a dance troupe to parade around chairs in the ring a la Showgirls. Well, it kind of got a reaction from the crowd, I suppose. How do you follow that? Well, you bring out Alex Wright, of course, to face Prince Iukea. Giant arrives stripped for action and chokeslams the ref for Iukea and then security to get a huge reaction. Giant says he's sick of the NWO, especially Nash. Genuine fire from Giant on the mic in a ring of bodies. Eddie and Chavo go at it quick, Eddie winning with a frog splash. Afterwards, Hector arrives to stop Eddie splashing Chavo again, but gets shoved down for his troubles. Gene brings out Paige and gives a quick history of him and Henning. The Nitro girls are back, this time from the stage. Gene then talks to the Heat, who talk the Outsiders. The Steiners arrive to beat Norton and Bagwell. We get highlights of Raven from last night, then Benoit gets the better of Mike Bennett. The Parker at least begins to face Super Callow, but Savage and Paige arrive to go at each other and it gets thrown out. Our number two starts with heading shooting, calling Flair a mark who couldn't last 30 seconds. The NWO then arrive with a wheelchair-bound Kevin Nash. He denies his involvement last night and officially we see Conan alongside them. Hall and Six get the better of Harlem Heat thanks to a miraculous recovery and interference of Nash. More Nitro Girls and NWO's Team Japan of Chono and Muta defeat the public enemy. Muta with the mist, Chono with the kick. Main event time and it's Jarrett versus Flair. Double J actually hangs quite well but Mongo causes the interference for the DQ. Mean Gene talks to Luger as we draw to a close. He rejoices about racking Rodman but the NWO surround him. We get another Sting imposter but after the wig and mask are removed it's actually still Sting and the NWO shy away. July 22nd takes us to the first ever Tuesday Nitro with the Nitro Girls and the NWR out with Bischoff and Hogan. They remake their Morecambe and Wise in a bed lying down on the mat spot to talk about getting their hands on Luger and Sturgis. First up, Conan makes quick work of the debuting Subasa. Next, Regal and Ultimo Dragon get longer and a Dragon Sleeper makes Regal tap to crown a new TV champion. After commercial, Flair announces the newest horseman but Six appears instead to tell him how the horsemen of the past Benoit joins Flair in solidarity, but Sting Six says if Hall and Nash were here, they wouldn't dare. Giant faces Muta, but setting up for a chokeslam, Giant gets the miss, and the NWO run in to make the save. A blinded Giant almost chokeslams Luger, but thinks better of it. Malenko faces McMichael in what can be best described as a clash of abilities. Mongo resorts to stalling throughout, but a Jarrett Debra distraction lets Mongo, uh, Malenko get the roll up for the win. Post-match, Jarrett tries to get Malenko on board with him. What a charismatic team that would be. Hex comes out to face Eddie and avenge the Guerrero family name. Eddie gets the better of him, but afterwards Malenko takes out Eddie to prolong their story. JJ Dillon arrives to tell Gene about some acquisitions, but Stevie interjects. JJ offers Raven his contract, but Steve Richards says he's negotiated it, and Raven rips it up. 
Our two starts with Luger facing Norton, which in turn leads to Luger facing Norton, Bagwell and Vincent. Their match gets thrown out, but after he calls out Hogan, who arrives on the stage and drags Luger to the back. The Outsiders arrive backstage when we get a tag match between La Parker and Psychosis against Mortis and Wrath, with Vandenberg's men and Karen coming out on top. Next up, we get Booker T in singles competition for a change, Buff Bagwell getting the better of him and Sister Flash Norton. And on crutches, Rey Mysterio becomes Conan, or K-Dog's ripping boy on the rampway. We then get a Nitro debuting Mr. Perfect beating IRS. Page arrives, gives Henning the cutter and Wall Street flees. Main event time, it's the Outsiders with Six and Bert Flair and Benoit. They actually get time. Flair feeding for Hall and Nash. Benoit gets the hot tag. Hall bumps, Nash doesn't. Big boot. Outsiders win and the crowd dies. See you next week. Well, Tony, first of all, I, I've been spending a greater part of the day with uh, the exec, executive committee and a group of attorneys representing Luger, and the match is official for Nitro next Monday in Auburn Hills. So, Tony, I will definitely see you in person in Auburn Hills. But as you've alluded to, I am committed to another very important project uh, on behalf of the executive committee. Uh, it has been about a year since we have seen Sting in the ring. And with the emergence of the NWO and their rise to power, supported by one Eric Bischoff, many, including myself, have questioned just where Sting's uh, loyalties have lied. And for a while we got some mixed signals, but as you gentlemen have pointed out, Sting's recent actions have shown me that he is solidly with WCW. And so to get to the point, the executive committee is working on putting together an offer to get Sting back in the ring by September. How about that? by September. That's right, and, and I've heard from some usually reliable sources, Tony, that Sting may be in Auburn Hills next Monday as well. Wow. So I'm not about to miss a potential opportunity to confront him, and if Sting is there, I will confront him with an offer, and again, our goal is to do whatever it takes to get Sting to return to action back in the ring by September. July 28th, and we're back on Mondays and start off with the Nitro Girls. Buff Bagwell and Flash Norton are out to face Flair and Kurt Henning. Tony and Larry speculate if he's now a horseman. Six comes out to distract Flair, but Henning wins with the perfect plex. Please assume at the start of these bits we see the Nitro Girls, because we do for most of the show. Gene gets Luger in ring. Lex flexes to show he's ready for Hogan. Not at Road Wild, but next week. A Dragon Sleeper stops Prince IOK as challenge for the TV title. Gene talks to Flair, who says Henning's a horseman. Perfect says maybe. McMichael and Benoit face the debuting Texas Hangman. Quick win for the Horseman. Alex Wright then beats Chris Jericho and wins the Cruiserweight title with none other than a German suplex. Jarrett and Malenko discuss their partnership, but it seems like a dumb deal. Page and Six start off hour number two, but Vincent distracts the ref, heading Nails DDP and Six steals it. Malenko then beats Hector Guerrero, Jarrett playing cheerleader. Post-match, they both beat down on Chavo. Conan plugs his match with La Parker. Nitro Girls, Lee Marshall, Giant versus Muta. Sarri's interjects from the stands before Muta arrives after the bell. Eric Bischoff then arrives at the desk. He runs down the Giant throughout, but Muta falls to chokeslam. Zabisco then comes out, runs Bischoff off, who ends up getting chokeslammed by Giant. La Parker's out, complete with a chair with Conan's name on it, but it's Conan with the win. JJ Dillon joins in on the phone to discuss Sting's future and says they will have him back in ring by September. Main event China and it's Scotty Steiner versus Randy Savage. 
They get good time complete with a crowd brawl, but it descends into chaos for the outsiders and giant. Nash gets called out from the ring, who wraps his fist with his belt, but we fade to black before anything happens. So there were three weeks of TV to finish the month, and a fair bit happened, but nothing major happened, I, I think would be fair to say. So nothing really we're going to pick up on. Um, in this last little section of the show, you know, things moved on, things progressed. Um, you know, we had the, you know, JJ Dillon announced that Sting will be coming back, uh, probably in September. He's going to fight Hogan next week for the title on Nitro, and then again on the pay per view. I don't really know what that means. We'll see what, uh, you know, uh, you know, I can imagine shenanigans in one, and then who knows what we'll do at the pay per view. Um, but there, there, Nitro, I think the first week, next week, he's going to be three hours so they can combat Raw going from nine to 11. Uh, apparently Bischoff's got plans for the third hour, like a, a different package show, etc. Um, but one thing to finish, and pure coincidence that Wayne happens to be on the show for this. <laughs> um, but we spoke last month about the end of women's wrestling on, on, on North American, uh, in North America. Uh, with the quote-unquote retirement of Medusa. And then we come out of the pay-per-view, and they're like, and here's the Nitro girls. And about Kimberly Page comes out, accompanied by about five or six other people. Dance troupe, sexy dance troupe, you'd probably say. Uh, you, you would say. Um, and, yeah, uh, Wayne, it's just a, a, a weird gimmick. Like, it's, it's, it's six more people, they've got to, Six, seven people they've got to keep on the road every week. They've got a lot of costume change, etc., etc. I guess it's a way of trying to, you know, give the show a bit more variety, a bit of spice, just to kill a bit of time coming out of commercials, etc. Thumbs up on the Nitro Girls? I'm not so sure. Um, I, I, I wouldn't really call them a sexy dance troupe. I'd probably just call them a sexy troupe because uh, <laughs> <laughs> because they can't dance at all. They they well, either they are either uh, really bad dancers or they need to sack the chore uh, the choreographer because uh, they just none of them are in sync at all. You know, some of them just can't even dance at all. Um, but uh, I think it's just more of a case of the way that wrestling's going at the moment. Um, like you've said, you know. Women's wrestling died in in North America a couple of years ago. They tried to do something with it in uh, in WCW, um, and maybe it was more about we'll do something with women's wrestling just so we can have the women's belt in the trash can, and then we'll do something. And never really have done anything with it to be fair. Um, Medusa had that uh, that retirement match a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, was it, or, or maybe last month? It was last um, month. Last month, so that you know, and the fact that they're not really doing anything with that, you, you mentioned Jackie before, um, which I, if she does go with Harlem Heat, I think that would be a great move for her uh, and and for that team. Um, but you know, she you know she can go, she could definitely wrestle. We can see that, um, but the fact that they're not doing anything with her as well says that women's wrestling is completely dead in in this company now as well. So. I think they've seen what what is kind of happening with WWF and you know Sable coming out in those t-shirts and um, Sonny coming down to do ring announcing. You know, it's it's just to get uh, you know maybe it's it's my type of thing. I'm not sure, but it's to get those eyes on on the products uh, and introducing this Nitro Girls setup is uh, is one way to uh, to to keep that audience on the product and, and maybe bring more more in through the door as well or through on watching the watching it on telly. 
So in the U.S., uh, when you have a professional or, or collegiate American football game, or you have uh, a basketball game, especially in the NBA, uh, during extended timeouts and during halftime, you'll have a dance troupe uh, come out, and it's essentially a much bigger, more choreographed version of the Nitro Girls. Uh, and so this is pretty common amongst American sports uh, during extended breaks. And so, you know, one one thought of mine is WCW is just trying to be more like the NBA or more like the NFL and present themselves as a as a legitimate sports uh, franchise by doing what NFL and NBA and collegiate teams do anyway, which is have sexy chicks come out and dance during timeouts. Uh, but it's stupid there and it's stupid here. Um, I, I don't want to sound like an old-timey, you know, wrestler, but It'd be nice to get that time, that six, you know, five, six, seven minutes, you know, if you count up all the Nitro Girl segments to some of these younger guys who could use more time in the ring. And if you want to feature Kimberly Page, then feature Kimberly Page, but you don't need to send her out with this troupe of non-dancers. Um, please, so, please do. Right, exactly. Send out Kimberly Page, for Christ's sake. We don't need any of these other chicks. Just send out Kim. So it's if you want to look at it um, – from a positive spin, it's WCW trying to legitimize itself in the eyes of the American sports fan because when you watch uh, the two biggest American sports leagues, the NBA and the NFL, that's what you see uh, during during timeouts and during halftime. But it's dumb there and it's dumb here, and I don't think it's going to work. Um, and they're just bad. They're bad dancers, and by the second week, they basically were segging in and out of commercials and not doing not doing routines per se. So yeah, uh, it's whatever. Uh, yeah, like I, I feel like what's the show will be fine, but as uh, as as you kind of would have heard in, in Dell's write up that I, I read out for the TV reviews, kind of by the end of the month they were appearing a lot. Um, yeah, like it's fine. I, I think Eric, you almost get on the point. I just want to finish off, which is I think they're trying to be less like wrestling. I think that's the the the, the general thought amongst it all um, is they want to be less like wrestling, and that's how they're going to try and make it work um and you know good luck to them i suppose to a point um if that's what their if that's what their thought is and that's what their idea is behind all of this then okay we'll see how that goes um but yeah to me it's just it it doesn't really make a difference it's an interesting idea it's just one of those things where it's like well it's a gimmick but it's not really going to make much difference, I think, in any way, shape, or form. But I believe the idea is just to try and present something a little bit more well-rounded and a little bit more sports-like as they start to get the kind of attention that guys like Dennis Rodman will give them. Um, I think that's the logic behind that. And that's where we'll end this month's show. A big thank you to Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Bob. Wayne, remind people where they can find you on Twitter. They can find me at WayneL84. And Eric Landstrom. Eric, thank you very much. Thanks, Bob. Uh, Eric, where can we find you on Twitter? At Modern Day Lawyer, but most importantly, go to Patreon. Ah, there is. What, 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 what are we? Uh, what are we per day at the moment? I've dropped that gimmick, Bob. All right. Yeah. One and done. <laughs> Fair enough. I, uh, I won't press that. Yes, Patreon. 
Patreon.com. It might be Patreon. I don't know. It sounds it sounds more sensible as Patreon, so that's what I call it. Patreon.com forward slash wrestling 21s. Five bucks a month, 17 cents a day. Uh, early access to shows. Hopefully like these. It's not been a great month for that. I, I say early access to shows. Our, uh, our, our boxing show for June went out today, and it is July 22nd. Um, so it has been a bit of a weird few weeks. But, uh, yeah. Uh, if you'd just like to say thank you and to get early access when I've got the time to shows like these, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 wireless links. In the podcast description and on our website, four volumes for you this month. Uh, volume number one takes us to Canadian Stampede in the WWF, that show there. Volume number three to ECW. And volume number four, whenever we tape it, because I, I, I know for a fact we're, not, we're going live with these three shows without UFC, much like we went live with... July, uh, with June without the boxing. Uh, but at some point in August, we're going to take the July USC show, as uh, so you can hear all about that. Uh, otherwise, yeah, we're uh, we're on iTunes, we're on the website, wrestling20yrs.com. And that's been that. I've been Bob Bamber. This has been fine number two of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast of July 1997. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>